Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Emerging Eve, where we will focus on unraveling the difficulties in the midst of our journey and move toward forward progress. This program is not meant to replace any form of therapy, and you are encouraged to seek out a mental health professional if necessary. Hello. Uh, welcome to Emerging Eve. I'm your host, Keisha, and you are tuned in to the Bachelor News Radio Network. Feel free to call 646-929-0130 or for questions or send your questions to uh, the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA dash bachelor. Um, you can also send an email to me if you so choose to for questions, topics, anything like that at emergingE, all one word, at gmail.com. Also look into the Facebook group so that um, you can join. And I make posts there regularly. Um, things that are usually motivational, sometimes I ask questions, all of that, okay? Um, today's topic especially as we uh, are ending the month of uh, self-care, is about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Uh, Hopefully, um, everyone has kind of heard about what that is, but if you haven't, no worries. We will talk about that today and how that can be for, um, for each of us not just in regards to um, people who are African-American, but folks who are who have an African-American significant other, um, people who are um, friends with or related to uh, people that are African-American. So it will be helpful all around. First and foremost, um, let's look at what that term means. What post-traumatic slave syndrome is, and that uh, phrase is also in uh, the form of a book by uh, Dr. Joy DeGroote, D-E-G-R-U-Y. What it is is it talks about how slavery has impacted African Americans um, over time, not just in the time of slavery, but even since then, and especially how it impacts the way we interact with the world, interact with families, how we feel about ourselves, how it really is something that um, is far-reaching, far past um, just, well, slavery was then, but this is now. The, the traumatic experiences um, of our ancestors that did experience that, those things have continued to trickle down. In, uh, from generation to generation. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up for one is because, yes, this is uh, Suicide Prevention Month. This is also Self-Care uh, Month. Um, also, as tomorrow starts, we're looking at the beginning of domestic violence awareness. Um, this topic is so um, so necessary to be discussed and more than this type of form, but even in your home with your family. Because with the far-reaching extent of 
what this um, what this issue is, what this syndrome is. We really sometimes, and really until I read the book, because I read the book, the book is amazing. Um, I didn't really look at it as far as the way uh, Dr. DeGruy has uh, broken it down and shown like uh, kind of the different facets of it. So basically, with trauma, because slavery, of course, uh, was traumatic. With trauma, when a person experiences trauma, that trauma uh, can continue to go um, down generations in their family. Now, not just the immediate family as far as biological, but also in the community, because you have to think, you know, we interact outside of our family element as well. So even in the community, any person that has experienced something traumatic, uh, similar to or even close to slavery, um, those their actions, their interactions, their thoughts are skewed, okay? With that skew, that's going to also skew the way they interact with others, okay? And then that is replicated throughout the generation. So not only is your DNA affected by trauma, but your behavioral interactions are affected. There is um, a, a saying or a little story to kind of, you know, think about how things are passed down and you don't really know why. Um, the lady who, every time she made a pot roast, and I'm sure people have heard this one, uh, she would cut the pot roast in half, put one half in another pan, put one half in another pan, and put them both pans in the in the uh, oven to cook. So one day her husband asked her, why do you cut this pot roast in half? She said, I don't know. My mom did it. So then uh, with that question in the air, they then go to her mother and ask her, well, why do you cut the pot roast in half and put it in the, in the uh, oven? I don't know. My mom did it. So this lady goes to her grandmother and says, well, Grandma, why, you, why did you uh, cut your pot roast in half and put them in the oven? She said, because I never had a pan that was big enough to fit the pot roast. So it kind of gives you the understanding that many times we do things that are passed down generationally, and we don't really know where it comes from. So imagine that type of scenario with interactions with um, with everything that is going on with the way our society is now and the things that we encounter in life and how that can be something that is uh, connected to post-traumatic slave syndrome. So I'm going to give you the definition that Dr. DeGruy uh, gives. Um, it's a condition that exists when a population has experienced multi-generational trauma resulting from centuries of slavery and continues to experience oppression and institutionalized racism today. This is so, 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 so necessary because hopefully um, we have people from all backgrounds uh, listening in and tuning in. For one, this book uh, is very insightful, but it can help you have a better understanding of things that can be traumatizing to African-Americans in, in many different settings, okay? So I want to touch on that. Now, also, from the African-American perspective, I want us to understand that many things that are passed down to us, we may not understand where they come from. It's just, hey, my grandma did it. 
My great-grandma did it. My mom did it. My dad did it. My grandfather did it. Uncle such-and-such did it. I don't even know why I'm doing it. We're going to start to look at those things. So with passing down these uh, this trauma, we can look at this from various aspects of the way parents interact with children, especially if they have a traumatic relationship. And with looking at that, we can look at the uh, things that are said to children, the way interactions are, especially even in relation to uh, male or female children, uh, whether it is, you know, as as an African-American person, I can't say I have the exact same experience that anyone else has, but the way I grew up, and we were kind of uh, in the country, it was very much you have to, um, even as a female child, it wasn't a whole bunch of crying that was allowed because you have to figure things out, you have to push for it, you have to be at least uh, five to ten steps ahead of whoever's identified as the competition. Uh, you have to always be ready for whatever negativity is getting ready to come your way because it was also being prepared, always be prepared for what's going to go wrong, what could go wrong. Go through all these negative scenarios and identify a plan for those scenarios in whatever your situation is. If you're at school, what if this happens and what if that? So what those things can do um, is very much set a person into a negative mindset, and you don't really realize that's what, what is going on internally. And then our parents, you know, or the people that raised us, they're not doing it to be a hurt. They're doing it to say, I know what it is to experience these negative interactions, so please be prepared. Be prepared. Look ahead. Plan, plan, plan. And what it really is putting into us is um, a seed of worry and being worried about when, when, not what if, but when something negative happens, when um, I'm overlooked because of possible race agenda, when I'm over, overlooked at, because of my educational achievements, when whatever you feel that the rest of that uh, question, uh, statement out with, but when it happens, not to say that, you know, you ever have anything to, um, to experience that could be anything different, but it says when it happens. Also, we have to look at... Um, the ways that we uh, protect our children can be a sign of post-traumatic stress syndrome, depending on how you do it. And I never uh, really thought about it to um, to think about uh, how how it looks for raising a child and how could that be, you know, part of post-traumatic stress syndrome and uh, Dr. DeGru gave a very awesome example, and from one perspective, it's, it can be viewed as, hey, I'm protecting my children. From another perspective, um, it can be viewed as um, putting them in, in really a limit, putting the limit on them. And she gave the example of um, a mother and her children at the bank. And this other uh, child is um, a Caucasian young uh, little boy, and the little uh, girl is African-American with her mom. And so in the example that she gave, the illustration that she, she talks about 
looking at um, the young um, African-American girl looking at the white child, and there, and he's out exploring. He's touching stuff, climbing on stuff, going around stuff, looking at people, all kinds of everything. Whereas her mother tells her, no, you stand here, you be still, you uh, don't touch anything, don't, you know, I'm here to take care of business, so don't say anything in a sense. Um, so from one perspective, I see that as, well, is that, you know, more of a, hey, this is how you act in public, you know, I'm trying to protect you from not being exposed to negative assumptions possibly. But then if you look at the other side, which I think is very artful the way she does that, is to think about it through the eyes of the children. This little boy is learning that the world is is mine. I can do what I want to. I can explore it. I can touch stuff. I can go places. I can everything. This young uh, girl, this African-American girl, is now seeing the world as certain things I cannot do, not necessarily because I'm a girl, but because of my race, because it, I'll be seen in a negative light. And I never really looked at it as from that perspective, but that is so true. Um, the things that we tell our children, and I say we encompassing African-American community, uh, the things that we tell our children uh, without saying words, the things that we say, hey, no, you can't do it, um, even with the words that we do use, putting limits on our children. I will um, never forget, uh, even with myself growing up, uh, my mom telling me, oh, you can do everything. There's no limits, this, that, and the other. And so I wholeheartedly believed it. I still believe it to this day. Um, anybody that knows me, friends, family, anybody, my husband, they'll tell you, if she should put their mind to it, she's going to figure out a way to get it done. And so um, when I chose to claim my major in college, at first I was nursing until I realized, hey, I don't like people's germs, so it's not a good major for me because I'm not going to do well. And I changed over to psychology. Um, the first thing both of my parents told me is black people don't talk about their problems. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, that was a limit. Like, you can't go into certain professions because you're black. So anyone that knows me knows that's all I needed to have fuel to like, okay, I bet you I can. Because you told me all my life that I could. And so therefore, you know, here I am. But being mindful of the things that we tell our children that through our actions and our interactions and even being willing to open up and explain things to them. I'm going to uh, briefly put a pause so we can talk about things that are upcoming um, this coming Friday, I encourage you to listen to uh, Feature Artist Friday from 5 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, where the artist will be Marvin Gaye. Hey. Also, every Sunday through Friday from 8 p.m. to midnight, listen to Whisper Softly on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Y'all like that? I have my voice went in. Oh, shut. I need to uh, be an advertiser for that. Uh, also, if you're interested in advertising on the show, please email us at labachelor, altogether, uh, the number 40 at gmail.com. That's labachelor40 at gmail.com. 
Okay, so we're going to continue talking about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome and the way that we interact with our children for for one perspective. Um, and looking at what what are we really telling our children? It's one thing to say, hey, you have to have manners. Totally agree with that. But then the question comes, where, when do those manners actually become limits? Where does it actually become a message that because you are African-American, you're going to always be seen as a threat or you're going to be seen as doing something that's going to harm someone? Um, where does that conversation come in? Especially with so much in the news, not just lately, but ever since I can remember, of um, brutality against people just because uh, they're African-American um, or African, or let's just put it like this, people of color. <laughs> you got a little color to your skin, you, you could be a target too. And so with that being said, at what point does it go from, I'm raising you to be a mannerable person, to be considerate of others, to now there's another line that's crossed that because you are of color, you have to be on point at all times. It kind of gives you a, a sense of hypervigilance. And I touched on that a few weeks ago. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was closer to the beginning of August about hypervigilance and what that can do to a person. Because with hypervigilance, you are tuned in on all senses um, at all times, and you really don't get a chance um, to to take a break, take a rest, uh, to just kind of um, relax wherever you you are, even at home. Um, so, with hypervigilance, uh, you're extremely sensitive to your surroundings. Okay, and even being extra sensitive to your surroundings, you hear everything, you smell everything. Even the faintest smells can be, like, very pronounced to you. Your thoughts may uh, race often. Um, you may um, sort of visually alert. Um, and some people say, you know, that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like my your, your um, intuition is always kicked up. Like you're always sensing or, or feeling the, the vibe that's going on to see how to respond. This can very well uh, be a, a re result of post-traumatic slave syndrome. And because you are a person of color, you have to always, as, as you may have been raised, if you're raised similar to me, uh, told I have to be so far ahead of everyone. It's always a stress, like, am I far enough ahead? Is this what I need to be doing? Is this the best? Path for me, what do I need to do to make sure I maintain enough of a distance between me and other people that there's no choice but to recognize my effort? And what that also causes, in addition to hypervigilance and anxiety, is, is early burnout and difficulty in dealing with stress. So, therefore, when we have difficulty dealing with stress, we have hypervigilance. And we're looking at anxiety because where, where do you get to say, okay, now this is a place where I can sit and rest and be. Um, I'm not sure about other people, but I know from my personal experience, just in this past, oh, gosh, 
several years, especially since there's been more light and attention and um, and place for the discussion to happen, and that Black Lives Matter has been so active. I'm thankful to those uh, folks that are out there putting putting things together, putting the word out. So thankful, so so thankful. Um, but even the anxiety that kicks up when uh, a police officer passes, or you know, um, if my husband's gone somewhere, the anxiety that kicks up, like, oh my gosh, you know, should he have been home by now? What's going on? Oh my goodness, you know, I'm wondering what is what is going on. Even the overprotectiveness that I have to challenge daily with my with my children. Because it's always like, oh, my goodness, I'm so, you know, wondering uh, around what corner will something possibly happen. Now, does that, is that a symptom of, or could it be a symptom of post-traumatic slave syndrome? Of course. Because in our society right now, what, what break do we really get to have to say, okay, I just need to be able to sit and just be? Because as uh, with Breonna Taylor, many people know, she was in her house minding her business, sleep, and here comes unnecessariness. Um, driving in your in her his car, Mr. Castile, um, minding his business. She, I, dang, I can't even be in my car. Sitting in the park, the family that was harassed by the lady who they were just out in the park barbecuing. Dang, I can't even go sit in the park. I can't be at home. I can't be driving. I can't be in the park. Um, just what what is it that I can do? And I don't know um, with with that what the immediate solution is, but the thing is, I want to call to attention the need for um, mental health services and uh, attention for many people of color, um, especially African Americans, male and female, uh, to reach out and and seek services. Talk about the way things are impacting you identify some positive coping skills, which as we continue, because there's so much to uh, this that I want to kind of look at right now today. I'm kind of talking about from the family perspective, but then also uh, we'll continue to talk about from the relationship perspective a little bit, because I'm not going to jump in the relationship arena, because that's uh, Ms. Johnny on Dose of the Dime. But then also from the personal perspective, what you say to yourself, based off of this uh, this uh, this syndrome, because I very, very, very much uh, believe that this is something that is, um, that needs to be uh, brought, more light needs to be cast on it so that we can all improve the way we cope with it. And the reason I say the way we cope with it is because we cannot, even though it would be really, really awesome, to get a big, huge eraser and take away some of the negative and appropriate beliefs that people may have about people of color. That is something that only that person can choose to do, choose to receive, I should say. Uh, so there's, other than just being yourself and loving you, there's absolutely nothing else you can do for a person that has those uh, limited beliefs. So with that being said, and then also, let's just be honest, this is not um, a phenomenon that is just in the U.S. This is a worldwide thing, um, especially in places where there are uh, various races 
heck, South Africa was dealing with the, very much the same thing during the uh, apartheid. We have to be very mindful. And then uh, Africans that live in Europe um, are experiencing uh, many things um, that are very similar to what we are experiencing here in America. Just worldwide, the, the level of hate and um, negativity based off of something that no one has any ability to, to uh, choose or anything like that. Not saying you would choose anything different, but it just, it, it makes absolutely no sense to me to identify and, and cause trauma to groups of people because of differences. If a person's different, okay, that's fine. We're all supposed to be different. That's the beauty in being people. We're different. You can uniquely be who you are. So with this um, with this syndrome, we'll we'll look at how we can also challenge because we talked about I think it was uh, four weeks ago uh, generational trauma. This is a form of generational trauma. Okay, uh, we may not realize it, but we if if we look at the things and the interactions we have with our children, and how does that mirror the interactions that we grew up in? then how does it mirror the interactions that our parents even grew up in? Um, we need to look at that and kind of dissect it. Uh, Monica asks, does social issues like racism and police brutality directly lead to suicide? Awesome question, Monica. There's no uh, evidence that police brutality directly leads to suicide. However, there have been several cases that I've read uh, recently that have dealt with uh, children even uh, harming themselves because of dealing with racism. So, yes, people do self-harm and or um, kill themselves because of not wanting to continue to deal with the hurtful interactions that people put out there. And that's the horrible side effect of when people interact with other people in horrible ways. I encourage anyone, uh, there, the number will be on the outro here in a little bit, if you are having thoughts of self-harm or you know someone that may be uh, interacting differently or coming across as um, distant or any of the signs that I, I talked about on LA show uh, last week, um, don't you don't have to take it upon yourself to say anything, but send them a text message with the number for the um, National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and just say, hey, if you ever need to talk to somebody, um, call these people, call these people and reach out to them. Um, that number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. Even in someone dealing with something so heavy, if you have or are even currently thinking of anything like that, be mindful that, for one, you are not alone. There are many support groups that are in communities that do offer uh, support for people dealing with racism on coming together and showing support for each other for one, because support is so, so, so very much necessary 
uh, in dealing with any negative issue in life, for one, but especially racism, to know that uh, people are out there that care about me, that care about my well-being. That's very, very necessary. And if you don't have that easily available in uh, where you're at, make connections with people. There are all kinds of uh, Facebook groups that offer support. There are also, look on um, psychologytoday.com. You can find a licensed mental health professional in your area that will be willing to meet with you, whether it's face-to-face if they are still offering that in some areas, as well as via uh, online sessions. Reach out. No one can help you until they know, hey, you need um, If you're dealing with a racist situation um, and it's challenging the way you view yourself, especially, please reach out. Um, so we will continue talking about this next week from another perspective. I want to encourage you all that um, working together and being mindful of the things that are out there will always give you a better insight on how to interact and deal with those situations. Uh, I want to thank you today for tuning in. I hope that today's discussion has been and will continue to be helpful to you in your life's journey. You have been listening to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Thank, thank you, you for so tuning much. in. I appreciate you for taking such a time as this to participate in your personal improvement with Emerging Ease. I'm Keisha, your host. Remember that in everything, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. If you are experiencing a difficult time, please reach out to the National Crisis Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I look forward to hearing from you next week on Emerging Ease with Keisha. WCOM and Apple Hill and um, uh, IBM TV, Big Minor Entertainment, WCLM and Richmond. We're all over the place. Of course, you can listen to the rebroadcast at our website. Hopefully, you're listening there now at the Bachelor News. Pro. the Bachelor with a T. Uh, Bachelor News. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Could be doing anything else and you decided to check in with us uh, today, we certainly uh, uh, appreciate that. 290130, the number to get in touch with us, press 1 to get online. Uh, the chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com and of course you can listen at the Bachelor News Airtime Pro. want to bring in my guest. She licensed Master of Social Work works as a therapist uh, in Oklahoma. 
and uh, certainly she has her own show here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, A Dose of the Dime with Yanni, uh, that airs every Friday morning at 9.30 Eastern Time. She's Yanni Knox, and Yanni, always a pleasure to have you on. What's up, what's up? How are you? Good, good to have you on, and you know, I... I um, I always try to bring you on with thought provocative stuff because you talk about thought provocative uh, topics on your show. And uh, one of those topics is, you know, dealing with or how to deal with someone who is broken. And, and Yanni, we hear that term from a therapeutic standpoint, like you're a therapist, even from biblical standpoints, if you know, brokenness and, and getting back and knowing yourself and loving yourself other before you can be in a relationship with someone else. But I guess for you as a professional that you are, what is it arrogant to think that we know or someone will know that someone is broken or should we, are there signs of that? What, how do we determine who's broken if we're getting into this relationship or in a relationship? Well, okay, so I really, really don't like the term broken because broken implies that you cannot, you know, be healed. I like the term damaged because damaged things, you know, we can fix them. Broken things, maybe, maybe not. Something may be broke. I mean, a, a broken clock is right twice a day, but that doesn't mean that we can use it. Um I really prefer the term damaged because a lot of us are damaged, um, and not just from relationships, but just from generalized life. Um, so you're talking about red flags, like what to look for um, when you are dealing with the people that you're dealing with and how to kind of spot somebody who may not be 100% healed, right? Chillo? So what I would do would be the first thing is to definitely um, have a conversation with them. The number one thing that I tell people when you're dealing with somebody is to absolutely um, ask questions. And I don't mean what's your favorite color, although that's great. Um, I mean to ask questions like, you know, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? What do you plan to do? What A good question to always ask is why are, you know, why did your last relationship fail? And to listen to what it is that they have to say. If the first thing that they do is blame the other person, then you know 100% of the time that uh, they're not officially okay with their part in that relationship. And if they haven't learned their lesson, they're probably not ready or equipped to go into a relationship and do better next time. Because if, they, if you haven't learned your lesson, you're kind of doomed to repeat it. So that's definitely a thing, okay? Um, when I'm dealing with somebody, I also want to always throw a monkey wrench in something. And when I say that, this is what I mean. So say you are dealing with a female and you have set a place that you want the or that you want to eat, okay? And she's game, and then all of a sudden, change the place. Or if there's a place that she wants to eat, change the place. Um, say no to something easy and see what the reaction is. Same thing with women. If you want to see if this guy or the person that you're dealing with um, is a narcissist, say no to something easy and watch the reaction. 
Now, you can't tell them that this is what you're going in to do because, of course, that's going to set them off, and they're going to fight you on it, okay? People are smarter than they appear most days. So definitely when you are focusing on uh, working with someone and you're thinking about starting a relationship with them, take that time to have the conversation, have plenty of conversation, find out about their ex, find out about what their dreams are, what their hopes are. Definitely find out what it is that they're seeking because if you guys are not seeking the same thing, it's going to become a clash anyway. But so when you are dealing with a relationship, say you're in the relationship, and someone is damaged or someone is quote-unquote broken, because I don't like that term, um, you're going to have to be patient. Patience is the name of the game. If you are dealing with someone who had an ex that was narcissistic, whether it be male or female, you're going to deal with a lot of trust issues and a lot of low self-esteem issues, okay, because they are gaslit. To the point where they no longer trust themselves They no longer feel like they're worth anything And they've been discarded Most of the time when you're dealing with someone Who has dealt with a narcissistic relationship they've been, they've been discarded And probably pretty beaten up As far as their self-esteem Has taken a lot of blows So when you're dealing with someone Who has you know, kind of been, been through the meal A little bit You want to get, have patience with them Definitely have patience with them um, And be open and communicative. Haha, <laughs> that's a big word, 10 cent word. Um, you want to communicate with them as much as you can. Uh, this is what I'm doing. This is the stuff that you're doing right now is probably going to become a problem because A, B, C, and D. You want to be open and honest and receptive to everything that they are saying. Yoni, let me just ask you this real quick because you, you brought up, you know, in the relationship. Is, yeah. Is it really legitimate to, to know if you're not a licensed therapist? Therapist, like you know, to know those signs that who, who they knows? are broken. Okay. Because you know, a lot of us come in with our our representative to begin with. Okay, we have a representative. The person is not really who you are. You want to come with your best foot forward. Okay, so you're nicer, you're kinder, you're sweeter, you're doing more, right? Than who you normally are. When when you and that normally lasts for about three months. So say. I don't want to say trick to bamboozle, but because because everybody comes with some form of representative, but say you are falling for this person, you are now in a relationship, and you can tell when you have a disagreement how they argue. Do they back down? Do they cower? Do they? Well, I'm sorry, you know, I can't do anything right. Those types of things. You don't have to be a therapist to hear when somebody doesn't have good self-esteem. You can hear that in the conversation. Well, you know, I can't do anything right, so you have to help me. No, that's that's when you can kind of hear. Or say you're in a relationship with a person that's been physically abused. If you, you know, get up too fast, they jump or they flinch. Or um, let's see, for me it was anytime somebody came up behind me, I would have a reaction. Even though, I mean, I, haven't, I hadn't exposed that I was a survivor of domestic violence, and I was, um, but it's certain telltale signs that you will have that you just cannot hide. And unfortunately, you don't have to be a therapist to see that, oh, somebody has hurt this person. Um, they're easy signs. Like, again, definitely one of them when they're down, down talking themselves and not in a way to get your sympathy or support, not a pity party. We don't, we, you know, nobody likes that. But more of a they really believe that they're not worth anything or 
they put you, your needs, your wants and desires ahead of their own. Like they're self-sacrificing to the point where it's too much. Like, babe, you ain't even ate yet. What are you doing? Come on, let's, you know, let me get you something to eat. And they're doing stuff for you. So there are signs that you can pinpoint and see prior to um, not and not have any kind of therapeutic degree. You don't need a degree for that. We're talking with Yanni Nard here on the Bastion Radio Show on WCOM, the Bastion News Radio Network and IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment. Uh, Yanni, I'm going to play the advocate a little bit, uh, and then we'll take some questions with already lining up. Uh, why? Why? Why do I have to deal with this? Do I mean if if someone is uh, you're in a relationship and someone say gain weight for whatever reason and then their self esteem goes down because their their weight uh, is going up or something along those lines and then they kind of scale back and and you you have the that that sense of brokenness not the term that damaged uh, person. Um, then how do you deal with that? Again, being in the midst of, of the relationship and something, life happens, some tragedy or something happens, and they kind of fall back in terms of uh, both mentally and, and otherwise and, and the negative. How do you deal with that, and should you have to deal with that? Well, if you're in a relationship, I'm assuming that this is somebody that you care about. Now, if you're in the beginning of a relationship, like the very basic beginning, you have a choice. You can decide whether or not you want to deal with this if this person is worth investing in and continue, or you have a choice to walk away. You don't have to deal with anything that brings you unhappiness. I I go back to what uh, my Baba Jay used to say is, at the end of the day, when it comes to a relationship is, can you lay next to this person with their dusty feet and be okay with the drama and the baggage that they bring? Because everybody brings baggage, even the person, you know, who asked the, the, the question. They have baggage that the other person has to put up with. We all come with some form of baggage. So do you have to? No. And if you're early enough in a relationship where you're not smitten and falling in love, then absolutely, you know, consider, weigh it out, pro and con it. If I stay with this person, I know I will have to invest in their feelings and continue to uh, advocate for them, you know, because their their esteem is not where it needs to be. Um, But if they are in a relationship um, and they decide, no, this is just too much for me, like for – if say you are with a person who has suffered domestic violence and you, you realize that they're going to require a little bit more time, a little bit more effort, a little bit more love than you're used to giving, then, yeah, it's absolutely okay to say, you know what, this is not, I, I can't take this on. But you have to be honest and upfront and and be clear. <laughs> Don't drag them along because you're going to end up re-traumatizing them and, you know, making them uh, making men or women unsafe for everybody, if that makes sense. It it does. I had a couple of questions. The first one really is, I think, a great question for you, and that is, and something I think you've talked about on my show before, passive aggressiveness. So if they're not mm-hmm. up and honest with the person, the person has gone through whatever trauma they are, they're not ready, and they're, they're damaged, as you, you call it, but you're not willing and say anything, how does that end? How does that look? That that, that has to be ugly for, and, and messy for, for both parties, I would think. 
Okay, so what? I'm, let me rephrase so that I make sure I understand. Um, so the person is aggressive and, and, and unhealed, and then the person does not choose to leave, but they're passive-aggressive about what is going on, and they're not being honest. Right. They're not telling okay. of the person who's damaged that, listen, I can't handle this. So they stay in it. So now mm-hmm. you've got two parties that are really, it's not a healthy situation. Right. That's when you end up with a toxic relationship. Okay. So there are a lot of, a passive aggressive really just means I don't have the confidence to say this without hurting your feelings. It comes from people who are people pleasers. It comes from people, and, and don't, please don't take this, everybody who's listening, in the wrong way. All of us have some of this in us. There are some people that we're more passive aggressive with because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, we do care enough about them because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And so we're, instead of being straightforward and honest, which is what we should be most of the time, um, we try to, we tend to be passive aggressive because we're unfortunately resentful for the behavior. So passive aggressiveness, again, ends up, unfortunately, yeah, it becomes a toxic situation because if the person is unhealed and maybe they have an anger issue, this can end up into an, an explosive and, and erupt into something that's more damaging for both parties than the person anticipated. So you, it depends on what kind of issues the person has. But, yeah, it can end up being just a toxic relationship to the point where both parties are just ugly to each other and, unfortunately, stay for comfort. That's one of those those old school ones that we don't like to see, you know, when mom and dad just stayed because of the kids or mom and dad stayed because they, right. they just didn't feel like they want, they could be with anyone else. Cheryl um, in New York um, made a comment said that she knew she used broken, but that this is damage. She knew she wasn't ready for a relationship. Um, so she took time out to know her. Not enough people do that. Not enough people, understand you shouldn't get into a relationship until you're healed until you yourself just to get your comment on that definitely um i think okay so i think there should be a certain amount of time and and what psychologists and um therapists recommend is for every year that you take a month to reflect on the relationship and not only see what happened as far as the good but see what happened as far as the bad Um, and make sure that you're not only focusing on what they did, but focusing on where you could have done better. Because, again, the name of the game in order to get to to the next relationship and make the next relationship better is to learn the lesson. So I feel like there are only lessons and blessings when it comes to these relationships. So if you're given a lesson, a challenging relationship that kind of puts, you know, puts you to the test, learn the lesson. Figure out what it is that you need to do and then move forward. But definitely taking time to reflect on everything that went on, where you could have made a different choice, um, and what it is that you should take from this is definitely a good idea. I'll be honest with you, when I left, um, when I was done with my marriage, I was single and celibate for five years. Um, now, that is probably excessive. <laughs> Don't recommend it <laughs> to everybody, but it is a good idea to definitely give yourself some time and some space before you jump into the next relationship because you don't want to drag, one, your baggage with you. Um, 
especially unhealed baggage. All of us have baggage, but then there are some, if you haven't learned a lesson, if you haven't reflected, if you haven't decided, this is what I should do instead, then you're just going to do the same thing, and you're going to end up with a different person with the same traits, and it, and, and it ends up being a whole mess. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Yanni Knox. She's a licensed master uh, therapist and, and social worker. She also hosts her own show, which we'll get into before she goes. Uh, a dose of a dime. Yanni airs every Friday morning, 9.30 Eastern time. Please do check it out on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Listen at uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Yanni, uh, a comment from Robert asked a question. He said, I recently fell madly in love with someone. She was, uh, but she was broken. I'm just reading what they said. I knew this and, and I knew this and loved her anyway. I couldn't help myself. We had a good run and, and, and fought to stay together. Unfortunately, her brokenness caught up to us and reared its ugly head enough that we had to finally say bye. He said, was it her fault for loving me when she was she broken or was it his fault for loving her when he knew she was broken but I don't think there's any fault in that I feel like that this was just another lesson a stepping stone for him to be um, better in his next relationship it depends on what it is that he learned from it so he noted that this lady is is indeed you know damaged and and hurt Um, and he loves her anyway which I'm not saying please don't love people that are not damaged and hurt because, unfortunately, once they have gotten into the healing stages, they need that love and affection in order to complete their healing. They need to be able to believe that love can happen and flourish and flow. So they need to have hope. So I I don't – I would never say to not get into a relationship with somebody who is damaged. I would say make sure that what they're damaged by, whatever it is that they are damaged with, one, that they're working on their healing, and two, that um, they're they're working on the lesson and they're clear about what needs to happen the next time. And that's why I say it's important to ask, hey, you know, how did the last relationship end? Well, what lessons did you bring from that? And, you know, what do you bring to this relationship? What What can we talk about? You know, maybe we can work out. And when I deal with my, you know, in my current relationship, I'm very clear, hey, we, we talk and we communicate, we apologize over here. You know, when I'm dealing with um, people that I'm dating, because I'm not, I'm not going to fall back into those those trends, those traits of, of not talking, of being passive aggressive, because it's easy to fall back into. And as he said, you know, it it comes back around. It is a work. It is an effort. It is not something that you get over. Once you have been damaged, you unfortunately kind of bring that with you wherever you go. It is knowing the lesson. It is applying the healing. It is the working on yourself and the doing the affirmations that's going to help you get better so that you can be better in the next relationship. But you will always be the person that got hit or the person that got cheated on or, you know, the guy that gave all his money to some girl and, and, you know, he got used. What do you do now is is the key. So. The, the the quote out there too is the better to love the loss and never loved at all. So it, it, isn't that part of the apprehension of people who have been damaged um, uh, maybe so much of the understanding maybe even 
fooling themselves, Johnny. Like, okay, I'm over this. This is just a part of life. This is just a part of relationships. And I'm going to hope the next one's going to be right. Well, and yeah, and there's a difference between actually actively working on your healing and um, distracting yourself. Because you can distract, you, you can be wholeheartedly numb to the healing that needs to happen and distract yourself into not dealing with the things that need to be dealt with. So, yeah, and I, I hear that, that sentiment, you know, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all because you do, you learn lessons in these loves that you can apply to the next relationship or even um, to your life. I got a question. Uh, well, actually a comment from Felicia said that she she's always bitten by the love bug. She's a hopeless romantic, um, but she feels some somewhat – um, dysfunctional and awkward uh, at times once she gets in a relationship. And, and that's a that's an interesting comment then, um, Ayani, especially when some people reflect back and go, well, what am I doing? I'm in and out of these relationships. I want to be in love. I want to be married. I want to be in romance and all these other things. And it just doesn't seem to happen for whatever reason. Oh, so now we're dipping into manifestation affirmation territory. Um, when you focus on, I want a marriage, I want love, I want this to come to me, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You you, you kind of list out the things that you know, that you want, that you prefer in your relationship. That part is a good, good part. What happens is we get frustrated and we get tired, and we don't understand why our relationship isn't here, and we unfortunately go and we put out this frustration into the universe because we haven't met our, our one. We haven't met our mate, and unfortunately, it is the law of attraction. What we put out there is what we bring about more of. So the minute no. that you go, man, I can't stand it, I'm not, I can't take it, nobody's coming to me, why aren't they here? You're, put, you're bringing about more of that to you. Mm. Uh, he said that he understands everything that happens that is happening. I hate that term, but he said it is what it is. He said, but his problem is acting on intuition. He says, I'm a romantic. I wear my heart on my sleeves, usually governed by emotions. Uh, he said, mm-hmm. when I love, I really love. He said, while my uh, natural mind might be inherently aware of the dysfunction, my heart will ignore those national thoughts and just show you. Uh, the truth of the matter, he said, because it has so much love, he has so much love to give. And in and, and person, his heart has to, he feels like it has to shove all the national thoughts that occur to, to shut up and allow the heart to do, I don't know if he wrote it right, to do what it wants and love without a care in the world is what he wrote. Oh, I know, I know. And it, it, it would be lovely if all of us were the same. And we can just throw our heart out there and love 100% without um, any, any, you know, <laughs> damage coming to us. But unfortunately, people are messy and people come with their own baggage. And um, he, I would advise him to put that same love to himself. That same love, the the romantic throw your cares to the wind type of love, loving on himself, 
because when you are clear about what you are worth, you are very clear about what you're willing to accept. And you won't just accept anyone that pops up. And I'm not saying that this gentleman is, but I am definitely saying that you have to have your your list. And I and I say this to people, and, and I don't mean be specific. She's got to have short brown hair and dark brown eyes. I don't mean that. I mean, is she caring? Is she kind? Does she love anime? Um, does she love horror movies? Is she an action movie junkie? Do you do you want her to um, still want children? Um, how many children do you want her to be religious? Would you rather her be spiritual? You have to have your list of the things that you are looking for, and you also have to have your list of non-negotiables. And we have talked about this before. These are different than red flags. Non-negotiables are like for me, I I, I absolutely must be single. Absolutely must have its own car. Absolutely must have its own job. Absolutely must have a place to stay. These are non-negotiables for me. And he has to have his own set of these because he is worth more than he is allowing himself to be given. If you're just jumping in the first relationship because it looks and it smells good, he is definitely going to get taken advantage of. And and I sure hate that because he sounds like a really cool guy. <laughs> and, and that's a great point uh, those uh the boundaries to it and michelle in um good connecticut uh wrote uh, yoni that uh she said married to her high school sweetheart she's only been in three real she put real in in capitals relationships so how does she know the signs of who broke if she's never really been in that situation okay so she just she just recently um broke up or divorced or he says that uh, she was in three real relationships, married to high school. Hopefully she'll hit me back on the thing. But, uh, I mean, I guess she says she's very inexperienced. She's only been with three real and three real relationships, so maybe not as much. So I guess she's saying hopefully uh, well, no, yeah, I mean, she, she's divorced. She says she's divorced. Um, but she, okay. I guess she says she had a lot of experiences. And and that's not exactly necessary. She doesn't have to have a ton of experience to know what it is that she wants. I mean, let's be realistic. I don't know, you know, I don't want to get us banned off the air, but um, let's let's be let's be real. We want somebody that's sexually compatible. We want someone that um, is spiritually compatible. I mean, these are even though it's general terms, they're very specific to us. Right. So it's okay to say I want someone that is spiritually compatible to me. I just want somebody that is sexually compatible to me. I want somebody that um, love language matches mine so that when we talk or when we give our love to each other, we're not mismatching and messing up. Um, I want somebody who communicates things in her list because these are things that she's, you know, possibly had in her other relationships. All the good things that you've had in your relationship that you enjoy, you put that on your list. All the things that you see in other people's relationships that you say, hey, I want to try that, put that on your list. You don't have to have been in a relationship in order to say, I like this. This is this is what I want. You can do that. And and have your non-negotiables. Think about what it is that you're not going to waver on. Like I, I, I have said for me, and, again, I'm saying this because – um, I have this myself. I would not accept someone with more than um, two baby mamas. I could, I can't deal with the drama. I don't like drama. So, 
And I'm not saying that people with more than two baby mamas uh, have drama, but I, to me, that seems like an awful lot to deal with and a lot of people to please. And unfortunately, once you have a kid with somebody, you are stuck with them not just for 18 years, but unfortunately almost for the rest of your life. So mm. there are things that I want in my relationships um, that, are non that's a non negotiable for me. I prefer you only to have two. I only have I have my ex husband and my first child's father and, and that's you know, I'm only asking for what I have had. Now I know guys always make a um guys, y'all are y'all are some troopers. I love you guys. Y'all will go and date someone that has less than you and you will try to bring her up to your standards and sometimes a lot of times you guys get hurt in the process and I, I love you guys for that but Definitely, sometimes you're going to have to bring your standards up, too, because you keep meeting the same woman, and that is definitely (laughs) something that you have to add to your list of non-negotiables. What are you willing to put up with? And don't put up with too much stuff. Nobody I love to do that standards uh, conversation on uh, hopefully uh, next week, because I had someone, we were just having a general conversation, and uh, a good she said, well, I'm not going to date anybody. I own a business. I'm not going to date anybody at McDonald's. And, you know, we got into a little debate and things about standard black men and, and women specifically in that, that relationship. But, again, I, I want to get into that. But I, I, I want to say this is the last two, and then I want to, uh, to, to promote your, your stuff. Uh, I mean, there, there are people that come in our lives distinctly for distinct reasons and, and all unique. Right, you know, and from one to the next, whatever those relationships are, we're talking about these specific relationships. But, um, you know, should someone or should you love someone who is broken? First part of that, the second part of it, if you do that, how do you sustain it? Whether you're, you know, dating, you're serious, you're not married, or or you get married and you get to that point. Should you and how do you keep that relationship going? Um, I think that if you are going in with your eyes open, with knowing that this person may, you know, has an aversion to certain things, I mean, because that's open and honest communication. Once you know, you have to have that open, honest communication. Okay, what are your triggers? And they need to know that. And as you discover triggers, because you will discover more, for both of you, by the way, um, discuss them. Be open and honest and be willing to work if that's what you want to do. Now, if you don't, then, yeah, leave early, again, because you're going to just drag it out and hurt them more. So it it is okay to love someone who is damaged. As a matter of fact, I believe that, from people who are working on their on on their heart, people that are working on healing need hopeful love in order to heal completely. So mm. I, I believe that that's a positive thing, um, because how do you know once you feel like you've learned that lesson? How do you know but to get tested on it? Right. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. So that's what I would say. Um, Yanni, like I said, next week. You want to uh, talk about standards? I know you've done that um, on your show, and I'd, I'd like for you to bring it to my audience the next week. We'll talk about it. Uh, before you go, talk about how people can reach out to you, how they can follow you and your show. 
Well, my name is Yanni, but I'm known as the DJ Dime. I am a dance junkie, lover of dance, all kinds of dance. As a matter of fact, in two or three minutes, I'm about to run in here and teach African dance. But you can find me on all my forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, Every Friday morning at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 Central Standard Time, I run my show, which is a dose of the dime. And it's just a dose of information, as they used to say in old school, dropping a dime. So I hope you join me and I will see you there. Thank you so much, Yoni. I appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon. Thank you so much. No problem. Absolutely. Fashion News Radio Show. Uh, Stay tuned. from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrant. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrant. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrant may result Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, if you miss any part of our broadcast, you go to our website, uh, thebastardnews.airtime.pro, thebastardnews.airtime.pro. Uh, I want to go to the phones, bring my guest. He is the Washington Chief President and Founder of the SAC Media International Consultant uh, as well. He is Jim Williams. And Jim, it's been a minute. Always good to have you on the Bachelor News Ready Show, sir. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, it's funny. It has been a minute. I've missed you guys. Yeah, I missed you, man. We appreciate you. And I I know you have things going on. I'm glad that you're feeling better. And um, uh, yes, sir. Good to you and your family. So I have not looked at um, the the um, the latest. I believe Congress passed a funding bill. Um, Can you give the details of this bill? And the fact that, uh, again, it shouldn't have come down to today at the time of this broadcast, midnight, where they can avoid, you know, a stopgap in place to avoid this government shutdown. Um, basically, real quick, um, this is a tactic that's used, it has been used by both sides for, um, unfortunately, uh, better part of, I don't know, um, I'd want to say the last five or six uh, major times. And the rationale behind it is, you know, you put pressure on the other side, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so what you end up doing, usually in September, which is, you know, when the check is due, as the old saying goes, um, you put a uh, continuing resolution, which is what they passed, which says we're kicking the can down the road and we'll deal with it again in December. Um, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, it's it's as predictable as uh, it is that, uh, you know, that North Carolina is going to have a good basketball team. So that's about as predictable as it gets from that standpoint. And Jim, why is it kick the can? They, they got to re-examine this thing in December anyway. 
um, from both sides of the aisle and the independents that they call mm-hmm. themselves, they've been kicking the can, for, like you said, for quite some time, and the debt ceiling goes up and up and up. So spending, spending, spending. The Republicans try to hide behind it unless the Republicans in the White House uh, do it as well. So why keep kicking the can like this, especially when, in this case, they got to come back in December and reexamine it? Well, again, it's it's more art than just science. It's uh, it's a political aspect. It's really we've never not done this. In other words, we but let's let's let me back up. This is there's a diff, there, there's so many things going on right now. Let's start with what we just talked about. First and foremost, keeping the government running. Okay, that has to be done. It was done, you know, through a continuing resolution. As of, you know, it'll be done before midnight tonight. The more important things, not that that's not important, but the more important things are uh, raising the debt limit, right? Because we've never defaulted on anything. And if that were the case, if we were to default, um, not that I'm playing, you know, professor here, but um, what that means to you and I and the real people in the world is that that would catastrophically destroy the dollar as we know it, and it would send all of the world's uh, markets into chaos. We've never done it, and we, we've teetered on the edge a couple of times, but we, uh, we never have gone that far, which is, thank God. Um, then, of course, we have the Democrats trying to decide, do they take and vote separately on the, on the uh, infrastructure bill, which was bipartisan, and then do the reconciliation, which would be the additional 3.5 trillion uh, that is what's called human infrastructure. And at the moment, the Democrats are, you know, can't get out of the way of themselves in this particular case, um, and won't, um, you know, can't seem to come up with a number that is. You know, is it 3.5? Man, Manchin says he can go above 1.5 in the trillion aspect. So I honestly, you know, I, I think that 3.5 is not going to happen. And I think we'll be closer to 2, um, maybe to 1, to 2 at the end. Um, and it's really not Manchin at this point. It's cinema because Manchin at least will tell you where he is. Cinema has, you know, they have no idea. You know, so I'm sorry that I'm sorry that I did a rundown, but that's pretty much where we are on the key points of what's going on right now. Right, and we talk with Jim Williams on the on the Bad News Radio Show. Uh, Jim, as this um this this has been cut, you know, to avoid the, the government shut shutdown. I know Nancy Pelosi has been working furiously behind the scenes to build this support, uh, roughly for this this trip dollar infrastructure bill, uh, personally calling Democrats herself. Now, uh, when you when you look at her calling her own party to get on board, isn't that sort of the uh, omen of what's not to come? Especially if you're looking at the Senate and the way it's there. If they really have to get, um, they may have some 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 on board in terms of trying to do things and maybe not so many. Um, if she has to go out of the way to get her own party on board, 
sisters in front should both stand in the house and, and, and moving forward in the state? Well, let's put it this way. And, you know, at the end of the day, if they don't pass the infrastructure bill, either one of them or none of them, right, then the Democratic Party will have committed, in my personal opinion, suicide because they will have absolutely no deliverables to go into the 2022 midterms with what did they, you know, they were in charge of both houses and the White House, and they couldn't deliver on anything. Right. So there's going to have to be, and pardon my my language here, folks, but there's going to have to be a come-to-Jesus moment here where people realize that um, that compromise is necessary. Now, where do they compromise? We don't know, but there's going to have to be some compromise. You know, half a loaf, as the old saying goes, is better than none, because right now, you know, we would be fooling ourselves if we thought that they, in any way, shape, or form, we're going to come to a $3.5 trillion deal. It's never going to be there. So what do we, you know, what do we start cutting from that bill? And how do we get to whatever it is? If it's, if it's one seven, two, one, two, two, whatever the hell the final, you know, the final thing is, you have to at least decide, well, if you're going to have something, what is it you're going to have? And if you're going to cut things, what is it you're going to cut? And right now, that's where we are. It's really sad. Uh, final Jim, I know you go. HR uh, 7120, the 116th Congress is still passed. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I know that have a a senator on one side uh, that is a Republican leading the way, and Cory on the other side went with Senator Scott on the other side. Um, is this going to get done, and what is it going to look like? I know the police are. Um, Police that are saying that funding police an issue uh, for them in terms of the the language and contradicting what Senator um, is saying uh, is probably so. Is this thing going to get passed and and when and how it will be passed uh, the midterm elections? Well, you know, I I really, you know, I really hate to be a downer in here (laughs) because you know me, I'm usually a pretty optimistic person. Uh, I can't under any circumstances see how either a police bill or a um, what we desperately need in, in, in regard to a, uh, a voting rights bill, um, like the John Lewis voting rights bill, um, I can't see any of that happening. I just can't because they are now they, – they, they back themselves in a corner with the infrastructure, and they're going to take all the oxygen – out of the uh, out of the time by trying desperately to pass the infrastructure. If they can't pass the infrastructure, um, and that's going to run the clock out, right? You've got a certain amount of time. If you get to let's say January, I mean sorry, December, or February, you really have got to have your your ducks in a row from that standpoint because you start entering you begin to do uh, the 2022 midterm. So. I wish I could sit here and say that, that that's going to happen. I don't see it happening. I mean, think about it. Have you heard anything about those two bills in recent time? I mean, I, last time I heard anybody talking about those bills, seriously talking about them, uh, was in the summertime. It, it, has been, it has been months. So, um, again, I hate to be, you know, 
the glass half empty. But right now, the Democrats are laser-focused in what seems to be a circular firing squad um, at, um, at either passing something or tanking uh, President Biden's um, um, infrastructure bill. And uh, one way or another, the Democrats are going to have to come out of this with something because you cannot enter the midterms without any uh, deliverables at all. It just, well, it's just it's If they lose, if they don't get George Floyd, you know, those, as you mentioned, the voting rights bill um, and this infrastructure bill, uh, all of those are suicides. And I don't I think yeah. midterm, but they could lose the presidency too, 2024, um, moving forward. So I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, zombies, man. They, they better do something, um, or they will be losing the House, Senate, and the presidency, in my, my opinion. Jim, I appreciate and, you. Yeah, well, quick question ahead, for you. Okay, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. It's been, you know, it's been a minute since we've had a chance to chat. So, Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I always appreciate your, your insights on what's going on as well. Um, of all of the things that, you know, that we, we've had this sidebar situation on Afghanistan, um, that, that why, what I can't understand and I've covered the Democrats, and I, you know, basically, uh, per, on a personal level, come, you know, are much closer to what they feel as, you know, as the right way to do as the Republicans do. Republicans have, would have had zero more, spent zero minutes anguishing over any of this. They would have just done it. And Democrats, for reasons that I have no understanding for, seem to feel compelled to weigh these options about, well, we won't get rid of the filibuster. We won't do this. We won't. Because if they could have carved out a way to do this, if they would have just either gotten rid of the filibuster or in some way, shape, or form carved out a workaround. And we know that, that Mitch McConnell did that because if you use that carve around to get to, um, to get the, uh, the uh, uh, Supreme Court people on uh, on the Supreme Court for President Trump. So I don't know about you, but I'm confused as to if you're in if you're in power, why do you not wish to use that power? Well, I, I, I mean, first, Jim, I think that um, this has been going for quite some time with the two parties, and it really reflects what their physical and eth- uh, ethnic uh, uh, makeups look like. In other words, if mm-hmm. Republicans are predominantly white dudes that look like Mitch McConnell, then they have their own personal uh, uh, exclusive agenda. If If Democrats look like me and you, um, yeah. then we want to include those those views and and concerns. So if you have more views and concerns um, that are, are different than just the the, the standard, um, then that's what you're going to get. Uh, and so I think that at the end of the day, Democrats have to do a better job 
of saying I appreciate your your thoughts. Um, I appreciate your opinion. I appreciate everything that you're saying. But here's what we're gonna do. I, I mean, it's just Democrats have to run it like Republicans. Like it's a business. I will take your input. I appreciate your consideration. But at the end of the day, this is what we're going to do. And they don't do that. They run it. It's it's just so they run it like the Green Bay Packers. Put it in football perspective. In a sense, the Green Bay Packers are an open franchise. They have people who have a minute percentage of stock in the company, but they have some form of voice. But at the end of the day, ultimately, the person with the most stock is going to make the decision. And that's what Republicans do. That's not what Democrats do. Until Democrats decide, I'm not going to look at the polls, I'm not going to look at this, I'm not going to worry about all, you know, AOC or, or, uh, 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 you know, uh, or whomever. We're just going to get together as a group and we're going to have a decision based on this power structure that we have within the party. Uh, they'll continue to do this. Uh, Mitch Pabloo and I call them and, and all of them, they stand in line. They are so close, they stand in line. And they may be upset with things, but at the end of the day, they're always going to do um, what's best for their party. And again, they play chess. Democrats play checkers. Democrats are worried about what's behind them. Republicans are looking in front of them. The big example is George Bush said, hey, we're going to war. I don't care what you say. We're going to Iraq. I'm George mm-hmm. Bush. I'm the president. I don't give a damn what you say what we're going to do. And that's what he did. Democrats mm-hmm. don't do that. But when they do yeah. that, things will change. Yeah. Well, the other part to your point is that, um, is that um, they, um, they don't, the, the, the Republicans choose not to play by rules. Right, okay? that's true. There's no rules of engagement. The Democrats are trying so hard to play by the rules that they're letting the rules kill them. So that's like bringing, you know, with, without being any particular violent aspect here, I'm simply bringing in an analogy. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Right. Um, you know, you're not going to win. And if you're not going to win, then what's the sense of getting elected? And if you're not going to reflect, it's it's a catch. It's in Jewish and gays and straight and white and Chinese, this and that, and all these different groups, ethnic groups, and all these different positions and, and economics in your tent, you're not going to reflect them all, then you go a different route. Because you're always going to irritate someone if you're going to say, we hear you, but you're not really hearing us. As opposed to, I'm not saying the other side is right. I'm just saying, if you're going to be that tent, you better have some strategy to be able to, to represent that and, and so get your agenda done to make people happy. The Republicans are robots. They're going to take robots, right? They're going to do it that way. Democrats kind of, you can't appease please everybody all the time. Not in politics. Don't work. This doesn't work. Did you uh, see the, the play Hamilton? I did not. Okay, there's there's a 
there's a uh, there's a great song in Hamilton, and I you know everybody can get the the soundtrack is not hard to find, but it's it's the name of the song is in the room where it happens, and it really basically talks about the fact that you can't enact change if you're not in the room where it happens, and there's also a line in Hamilton, which basically which is in that song that is if you stand you know if you stand for if you fight for if you if you stand for nothing then what will you fall for and right. in this particular case if you stand for you know whatever it is you stand for and you're not willing to fight for it but at the same time you're not willing to compromise then you'll get nothing and if the Democrats yeah, come out with nothing, then the fact that they were in the room where it happened and could have initiated any one of these things and could have done a you know a craft around, but they didn't because they wanted to play by you know an arcane set of rules that the Republicans don't play by. Who who, who knows? But I just thought I'd ask. And, and the thing too, um, you know, you know. America- Americans are arrogant. That's why we won't get vaccinated. That's why we're going to be told what to do because some of us won't get vaccinated, whatever the case may be. That's why we most preach and freedom of whatever. We do that. We check out with Americans. But we also want you to fight. We want you to fight. Like fight. And if, if you're not feeling, they don't get the sense, uh, not all, but if you, they don't get the sense of you're fighting for them, and you just nothing wrong with compromise, but you're just siding with the side that they're not with. Then that's an issue. And and if they don't get these major bills done, like you said, Jim, and you you know the politics of it inside. They don't get these not just the midterms, not just House and Senate, in my opinion, but Biden will be a Trump. He will be a one-term president. And if they win all three. Then you know the Democrats. To me, uh, I know rules and things of that nature, but for the most part, they have their own selves to blame. Uh, well, most- I will, I'll leave it with this: if you if that happens, and you know uh, you're exactly on point as you always are, my friend, then you'll have a president DeSantis in 2024. Yep, DeSantis. You know, it, it's it's really. It's really depressing if uh, Liz Cheney runs and she's to the left of the stances. So uh, that would be <laughs> that would be something. I've heard some rumors about her and all this other stuff and getting away from the party, but we'll talk about that another time. Jim, as all always, right, sir, that was a pleasure, Jim. Thank you, sir. Be well. Always good. It's always good to have Jim Williams on uh, on the Bass News Radio Show, the Bass News Radio Network. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere.
um, mm-hmm. in regards to how it can help recruiting or maybe not, or maybe they use it to move on. You know, Prime can get his job anywhere, you know, the Eddie George's. But now we do have, you know, the Reggie Theus and, and, and you know, my co-host mentioned some uh, current talent at Central and some other places. How's that look on the basketball side? Is there any difference in terms of black coaches or, or, or former coaches from or players from HBCUs coming back to HBCUs um, to help those programs? Let's be real. When these coaches, these name coaches, such as a Reggie Theus, a a Lindsey Hunter type, a uh, Daryl Walker, you know, they try to use these jobs. Most of these people come to use these jobs as stepping stone jobs. But that's a, that's a catch-22 because sometimes these people get pigeonholed. Now, when you have a name such as those people that I mentioned, it's a little bit easier to get out of that pigeonhole than it is for a coach such as a Lavelle Bolton because he's so known around HBCUs, that's all people think he can do is coach black players, coach HBCU players. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, tough, it, it, it's tough not to – get these coaches labeled, and we all know what happens when you get a label on you. We see it with our kids in school. We see it throughout society. Hey, that kid right there, he's a troublemaker. Watch him. Or, you know, that kid's a great athlete. You know, he's going to be the next this and the next that. We all know how these labels work throughout society. So, unfortunately, it is what it is. People get pigeonholed. People get uh, get get labeled. But, right. of course, we hope that these people come in with all their heart. Even if they even if they use this for a stepping stone job and they know they're going to be there two to three years, give us your best three years. Give us your all for that three years, and I'll respect you. Don't come in, use us, treat us like crap, and leave us like crap, and then go get a payday somewhere else. That's when the old people lose respect. And you know, we we you've been around it, guy and and T Mac have been around these these HBCU programs, and and I I've often had conversations about SID that are let's say from a European perspective that work in these HBCUs, and they stay here for a year, maybe two, maybe longer, and then they move on, you know, uh, to green. So if they were at FAMU, they stayed here for a couple of years, and then next thing you know, at the University of Florida. So they go from there to, to Gainesville or something like that. But but is is there a difference um, in terms of the positives? If I, I just use a coach prime, uh, if he stayed a year as opposed to say four years, is there a big difference? He's gonna leave, but he at least stays a year, and then he goes on to. You know, hypothetically, or whatever, uh, as opposed to he stays four years, he brings in his own kid, and then he leaves. And uh, here, I go, here I go with this dose of reality that I'm getting ready to give everybody. <laughs> when you coach at an HBCU, any coach who succeeds at an HBCU, if you've noticed, when given the opportunity to go to another 
we'll just say a white a white school, predominantly white school, they tend to succeed versus a white coach or a coach who's come from a white school. I'm not necessarily going to say a white coach because it could be a black coach who's come from a a white school or a white white situation and come to an HBCU and you're betting 50-50 if, if you're lucky. Why is that? Because at HBCUs, as a coach, you're faced with challenges that you will not see anywhere else. When you go to a lot of HBCUs, your assistant coach maybe coach maybe assistant coach or head coach of another sport. That doesn't happen at the white schools a lot of times. Your recruiting budgets are smaller. You've got different limitations. You've got you've got administrative uh things, you know, the process of getting a check uh a check cleared or a requisition cleared or something along those lines is is totally different, it seems like, at those uh at those schools versus our schools. So that's why those coaches, when they succeed at an HBCU angle elsewhere, are well trained. You know, it's just like being a police officer in a small town. Uh, you know, police officer in a small town, they got to they got to be street cop, they got to be detective, they've got to do, they've got to be investigator, they've got to do everything else. But when you go to a large city, you have specialty departments. You have a department that deals with murders. You have a department that deals with break-ins and and, and you know, traffic traffic violations. No, when you small town cops, you deal with everything. That's why those cops tend to be more successful. I know cops on on everybody's favorite thing, but it's it's a great analogy. Great point. Uh, uh, Rick Kwan had uh, uh, checked in and said, uh, "Tell your guests, you know, the, the the white coaches do come and go, with a few exceptions of Dave Robinson, he mentioned that Virginia, uh, and he mentioned Luke Delessio, who's had some, ex- you know, had some." Moved around in the CIAA, so he's saying, you know, those white coaches are going to jump in, jump out, um, and it's still far in between when they create your comments. Right. Yeah, I, and I agree. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the white coach uh, coming in, coming into these HBCUs, and there have been plenty who succeed. I'm just saying the situation when you come from a white situation to a black situation, it's a lot harder to succeed than it is when you go from a black situation to a white situation because of the, uh, just because of the dynamics of the situations. Yeah. Great point. I'm with A.D. Drew, HBCU Pro Sports Media Association, and, of course, Colorado's Network. We'll talk about that in just a bit. So, A.D., I, I was at the a game against Central, the they, I don't even know if they call it the Ag Eagle Classic anymore. I guess they do. It had, you know, they, the they just call it the Ag. It should be just the Aggie Classic. The way it's I know, going. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I was telling my my sons, I was hey, listen, son, you have to actually like, with all due respect, you got to kind of win for those to to, <laughs> to make it a classic. But uh, it is was you know great crowd and and great fanfare and that that kind of thing. Um, but should we? Should we? And and I mean, I was very surprised at where A and T is. We'll get into the top ten. And I was very surprised for um, because I mean, they had one. I thought they would have looked better against their previous opponent was an FCS uh, major. 
whose name escapes me. You know who it is. And Central had already won, and Central's kind of been struggling a little bit. So were you surprised that the way they won? Are you surprised that A&T kind of jumped up uh, in our top ten? Everybody's been waiting on the real North Carolina A&T to stand up. You know, they have been – they, they have a gauntlet of a schedule. I think the only team that may have a schedule tougher than A&T is probably South Carolina State. Mm. So everybody's been waiting on A&T, and it's not like A&T has not been competitive in the games that they've lost. I thought so, they would do better than Furman, though. I thought they would come out of the I, 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 I did, too. Yeah. But that was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was opening game of the season, the Furman game, it was correct? The, it was the one before Central. So, yeah. All right, the, the last yep. game. Yeah, but but even still, you know, AT, A, AT&T, Lord Jesus, you heard that right. A&T is going to be all right. They will, they will be competitive, but this also goes to show why they may have left the MIAC because of their dominance over MIAC opponents in the level in the quest for national respect. Great point. Great you point. Know, it, so they, they'll be Hampton. They'll beat their two HBCUs. And I'm saying that, uh, and I'm not, I'm selling Hampton short because Hampton does have a better record uh, against A&T. So, but they will be favored against Hampton. So, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, you're, you're right. I mean, um, why not? Um, I, I want to turn and go to T-Mac with questions. We get into those top tens. Uh, were you surprised? A, a couple of things, I, a couple of games I thought to me were surprising. Um, particularly in the flag. When you look at... Um, you know, Delta's up to state of Jackson State, you know, that game being the way it was, the way it ended, you know, that seven point win. And Alabama A&M, which has been you know, in, in the top, you know, all season, number one, I don't want to, you know, spoil it, um, you know, struggling a bit with a Tuskegee team that really, really hasn't shown that they put it together, especially offensively. We're about those two, two games. Well, full, full disclosure before I make my comments, I am a, I am a Tuskegee alum also. <laughs> right, also. And I was at – well, I'm a graduate of Florida A&M, so right, uh, that's right. why I say also. But I was at the Tuskegee-Alabama A&M game. I was doing the radio broadcast for Tuskegee. And and, and, and I wanted to throw that out there that I was that I was long before I say this. Tuskegee easily could have won that game. Tuskegee turns the ball over five times and still puts up thirty five points. Think about that. And I brought up because I know you were there. Number one, number two. I know you went to Fam and Tuskegee, and then. Number three, yeah. I was just surprised that Alabama A&M and our, our, our poll really, they, you know, they gave up 35 with five turnovers in the game. Surprise. Yeah. Both teams turned the ball over. 
the the big the, the the biggest difference it was Alabama A and M was able to take advantage of their turnovers more than I don't know what the points off of turnovers was, but I guarantee you Alabama A and M had more points off of turnovers than Tuskegee. And there were a couple of times when the team just turned the ball over and then the other team drove down and turned the ball right back over to the other team. Right. Like it was a like it was a doggone punt. But anyway, uh it, it great game. Great atmosphere. Uh at at the game. Uh Tuskegee t- go look at Tuskegee's stats. They have increased their yardage offensively every game this season. They have increased the number of points they've scored every game this season. So if you're Clark Atlanta this Saturday at home at Cleve L. Abbott Alumni Memorial Stadium, you need to be scared. Tuskegee is on pace to put up 40-plus points just based on the trend that we've seen over the last four weeks. You're talking about a team that that rushed for four four yards in game one and then rushed for almost 200 yards against Alabama A&M. Do we see the improvement? But are we are we more impressed by Tuskegee and less impressed by A and M because again A and M was up seventeen nothing there they were upset they were blanking them and it looked like they were going to yeah. run they were going to blow out and then turn yeah. over everything so are we more impressed by Tuskegee full disclosure we went there and less uh, impressed by Alabama A and I, I wish you could go back and pull up the broadcast. I made the comment when Alabama A&M went up 17-0. Tuskegee fans, do not panic. Alabama A&M will let Tuskegee back in the game, and they did. When you look at Alabama A&M over the last three years, 70% of their games, 70 to 75% of their games that they have won, or by one score or less. Mm. What does that mean? They play to their competition. When a team is better, they play good. When a team is, quote, unquote, beneath them, they play down to their competition. If you don't believe me, go back and look at it since 2019. Five of their seven wins in 2019 by one score or less. And one score is a touchdown, eight points. A touchdown, two-point conversion is what I'm considering one score. Five of their seven wins, eight points or less. Last year, of their four on-field victories, because I'm not counting the all-corn game, three of them, one score or less. And then this particular game just got outside of that margin uh, by beating, defeating Tuskegee, uh, 45-35. Um, and and you, you, when you look at you, you're absolutely right. I mean, in this game, uh, first downs – Passing yards were, were pretty much the same. You know, the Tuskegee, I mean, you know, Alabama A&M had a little bit more in terms of total yards, but it, it was much the same. One quick one before I go to Tony, and this is, of course, State is announcing sent it to me, and I, I really want to know what this means, that their director of athletics, uh, Derek uh, J. Holmes, today he's stepping down from his role effective immediately. He put in the quote there about thanking the Alcorn State and everything else. Quote, but what does this mean? And, and do you know any reason why he stepped down? 
there has been a power struggle at, at Alcorn over the last two years. There has been a group of people, and these are donors, politicians, who wanted Horn there. Horn is not a Horn is not an Alcorn guy. Horn is not an HBCU guy. But there was a group of people who wanted Horn there, and those people had influence. We'll just say it like that. And you have a president of Alcorn who is not a not a not a sports person. And and there are many of our institutions where the president they're not a big follower of sports. They put people there to manage the department and they leave them alone. And they, and that works a lot of times. But in this situation, it didn't. You had the people within the athletic department who did not want to work for Horn. We'll just we'll just say it like that. And then you've got the first family of Alcorn, the McNair family, who had their group of supporters who did not want want Horn there. And that's why I say there was a power struggle. And you see some of the things that have led to this. The opt out this spring at the last minute. That that was that was an administra- that was an administrative thing. Romans have that that had something to do with the same issue that was brought up last week with the trainers and the training staff. And not being able to mandate to beat those COVID protocols. Now you you've been you've been penalized for the next two years with all these extra role games that the conference has mandated against you, and you know so it, we knew this marriage was going to end. Mm. Either Horn was going to end up leaving after this season, or McNair was going to probably wind up leaving after this season. And I'm being as real as I can with that. That's that's so, real talking. I'm always a little concerned yeah. though when we have people in charge that are. Um, "Quote unquote," not for academia. No, no, no disrespect to the academia side of things. That's why you go to school to get the education. But when you have that side of struggle winning, then it's it's probably a concern. You know, it's almost like if you're a defensive guy and your coach says, "Okay, I'm a defensive guy. Defense, you do what you do. Whatever. I don't even care. I'm not even paying attention to you." Right. <laughs> you all exactly. Say, that kind of yeah. thing. So that's interesting. Yeah. Talking with AD Drew here. And one, uh, uh, go ahead. one other thing. One other thing before we close that right. out. If you if you follow Alcorn Sports, it's almost like Fred McNair is winning in spite of, not because of, his athletic yeah. director. And what I mean by that, can you name one of the Alcorn sport that is competitive? Wow. Too much silence. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> Talking with A.D. Drew here on the Bastard News Radio Show. Uh, and I uh, want to get my good friend, as you know, Tony T. Mac McLean, with some questions. Uh, good evening, sir. Hey, guys. A.D., I, I, yes. I think it's, you know, it's, the, it's the elephant in the room. Um, is this the, the president that, that um, Alcorn, is this not the same president that a few years back was saying that he didn't want to have he didn't want Alcorn to be considered a quote unquote black school. I have to go back and and research that. You know, I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. I know what you're talking uh-huh. about. I do not know if this is that 
person or not. So I I I'd rather not comment on that and put out sure, some, sure. and put out some Fox no some Fox news. I mean misinformation misinformation <laughs> out here. There you go. I got this. Just just you know, and just to, and you know and not to make this you know Alcorn Sports Weekly, but. How important, how big, you know, even though it's early, how big was that win last week uh, against, uh, uh, especially on the road, um, against um, um, Arkansas? UAPB. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's back it up a week before then. How big, how important was it the fact that they were competitive against South Alabama given everything that happened that week? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what everybody needs to look back at. And think about it. They lost that game in the fourth quarter, correct? They mm-hmm. had their fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. They laid an egg in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I was hmm. watching that. Yeah, I want, yeah. I, I, I wonder if they would have been able to condition Monday and Tuesday if they would have had a trainer. Maybe they, maybe they would have had their legs under them in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. of that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. All all, so, all, all sorts of all sorts of craziness going on down there this year. Yeah, but when you go back to that uh, UAPB game, and let's be real, a lot of people at halftime thought Alcorn was going to lose that game, and you know we talk about Horn resigning this week. That might have been some pressure put on Fred McNair from from, I, from, I, from some people. I, I, you read my mind. You read my mind. Yeah, yeah. But great comeback by all coin. But let's keep something in mind. That loss is more on UAPB than it was on it all going up and, Especially think, the home game. The fourth, home game. Think about the fourth down in the third quarter where they oh, went yeah. for it instead of mm-hmm. kicking the field goal. Mm-hmm. For us to find out later on after the game is over, they had no kicker which is oh. why they had to go for the fourth down right there. If they get that field goal at that point in time, remember they lose the game by what, one point? Mm-hmm. It changes the total dynamics of that game. Absolutely. But now, not only not only is it the three points, but it's but you know how Mighty Mo is. And if mm-hmm. those who don't know who Mighty Mo is, that's momentum. When that when they got that fourth down stop and that momentum swung, that's that was just what Alcorn needed. You know, once you start going downhill, it's over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, to, to piggyback on the whole coaching thing, when 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 um, Sanders was hired, the first thing that I thought of was, was it Jackson that came to him or was it uh, him coming to Jackson? In, in regards to to the hiring, because to me that will say a lot about how long he winds up staying there. Do you, you know, in your in your in your mind's eye or in your gut, who do you think approached who here? I, I I think it was one of those. You know, you you know all these people. They they've got agents. They've got people who do their who do their work and do their talking for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, somewhere in that circle. A.D. Robinson's people and Sanders' people, you know, had, had some back-channel conversation. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about uh, letting, letting my coach go at, uh, this year, uh, j- just just throwing it out there. We know we know he's interested in talking. Or or maybe one of well, you know, you know Dion is interested in, uh, in coaching. You know, probably one of those type conversations. And mm-hmm. then those people went back and forth, how serious is he and all that stuff. And then 
they then then they had their conversation. If you if you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. Your, your and, people will talk with my nah. people, and my people will talk with your people. You know, when I get I get it. Right. You know? right, right. Hey, your people call my people, and they actually made those calls, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> so it, 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 you know, and the thing is, who cares how he got there? Now let's be real. Dion is going to be there at least three years, mm-hmm. if not four years. And maybe looking at a, at a, at a, uh, a fourth and even a fifth year, Dion is going to be there as long as one of his sons is playing ball at Jackson State. So Jackson mm-hmm. State fans, relax. You know, Shiloh has two years left of eligibility. Uh, Shadur with with, uh, with the potential broken collarbone will get, get an extra year eligibility. So he may be there for another four years unless he's good mm-hmm. enough to go pro early. So you got a three- to five-year window where you're going to have Sanders there. Sanders is not going anywhere. Because who does not want to coach their son? I don't care sure. I don't care if it's rec, rec ball, high school, whatever. You want to coach your own kids if at all possible. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to get my son's AAU team, the basketball team, but I'm not a coach. But I get your point <laughs> in terms of yeah. wanting to do that. And, you know, I think one of the interesting questions was why uh, – we don't have to get into it – why uh, Dion sent his kids to Jackson State. And it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing um, from that program and, and his historiology standpoint. But uh, that's another topic. Uh, real quick, uh, before we get into the topic, because I want to – I have some real questions about it. Um, AD, you got the UAP, um CBC play preview at the time of this broadcast. Uh, and preview in Texas, so preview uh, certainly. Um, you know, Pine Bluff coming off the loss, going against preview. Who who do you think wins the game? Uh, I as a betting man, I'm I'm putting my money on preview. Because it looks like I'm looking at Prairie View to be this year's UAPB, the UAPB of the spring. You know, I, the, the switch to mid-major, I was very surprised by a couple of games in CIAA just to stay with a couple of conferences here. Uh, number one, uh, maybe I'm making a big deal out of it, is that I was surprised that the city state went to Winston and won. And number two, um, I, I don't know if I'm so much surprised by Fayetteville State being Virginia State at home. Uh, more so, is this a prelude to Bowie State running away with it and maybe Shawan, who's looked awfully good so far, if I'm not mistaken, looked very good uh, in conference that maybe the, the Virginia schools are not as good this year. Bowie State still got to play them, and you know both Virginia teams should want. But maybe, maybe the Virginia schools are, are are down a little bit. I know Union beat out John C. Smith, but you know John C. Smith is John C. Smith at this point. Um, so <laughs> is, 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 should we be over? Should we underestimate or underestimate Bowie State? Should want that whole Northern Division? And then what about you know again looking at um, Elizabeth? Who's really struggled going on the road against Winston-Salem and getting W? This is not your dad's or your granddad's Winston-Salem State team, first of all. 
you know, they it looks like they played over their head against Central, and Central played down to Winston Salem. The way this game is looking looking at right now, mm. great win for Fayette, great win for Fayetteville State to get a win over one of those quote unquote Northern powers because Fayetteville State dominates the South but struggles against the North. So now let's see if that's that wake up call. Say all right, North, we got y'all this year. So you know, I'm Elizabeth City is Elizabeth City. I don't even know why that why they just even came out of my mouth. But Bowie Shawan, <laughs> that is going to be the matchup. Of, and, and too bad the way the CIAA is that the the loser of that game, I wish would have the opportunity to rematch in the championship game. But we know that can't happen. But I I realistically think. Uh, especially if uh, Bowie wins, that there's an opportunity for the CIAA to get both those teams in this year. Wow. That's awesome. But I, I guess you're saying Bowie and Shawana are the best two teams in the conference. Uh, even though they're in the, in the north, they, they, they're they still best two teams, not including Fayetteville State. I, I, I do not include Fayetteville State in the top two. Fayetteville State is three at best. Wow. And and you're right. I mean, they win the South. It's either them or it's them and Winston against Bowie or the or Virginia team. Shawan really has a really good shot. They score a ton of points. Let's get to the top ten to start with the the major. And I, I listen, Alabama A and M. I get it, undefeated. And and we're all voting for certain things and certain reasons. If you got us in a a, a room on a conference call like we have, we can tell each other what we're doing. State, I thought should be number one. I really did. I thought, um, which, with respect to Tuskegee, you went there, that I thought they, like I said, played down and they didn't lose. So in our, you know, top tens and stuff, you know, that win is still a win, but I thought Jackson State should be number one. Very surprised that A&T jumped from 10 to 4. I mean, that was, that was my biggest glaring one there. I was the game. Central looked like they gave up after the first quarter, disrespect. Um, and, and he just stuck to them. Uh, and they and they really, like I said, the, the Furman game, I watched part of that game, and, and A&T just looked overwhelmed. So, can you talk about, you know, the, that top five there uh, because, and, and you know, have to build up, of course, from six to five, uh, or, or six, that it just—I don't know what people are, what voters are looking at, um, but I was very surprised that A and T jumped way up, um, and A M was still number one. Yeah, well, let's be real. A and M came in at number one, and I believe you got you got to beat the champion in order to knock them out that spot. That's just what I believe. So. A&M is number one. Until somebody beats A&M, for me personally, they're going to continue to get my vote. A W is a W. When you're at number one, you get you get a little bit of that. Look look at Alabama in the in the big boy polls. Until somebody beats them, I don't care how ugly the win is, they're still going to be voted number one. So Alabama, we got we got to keep that. In. What's that? 
Absolutely. I was going to mention yeah. Alabama State and Norfolk State jumped in. They weren't ranked. Uh, uh, what do you think of that? Uh, of course, uh, Norfolk State jumped in uh, at eight. Alabama State jumping in at number ten. Well, this is this is this is stuff. That I want to point out a team that's not in the poll and not receiving votes, but a team that everybody expects to do something this year and potentially be in the celebration bowl. You know what team that is? That is your neighbors to the south, South Carolina State. Right. Okay, South Carolina State predicted to win the MIAC. They played Bethune this weekend, a very good Bethune team. Now, I hope everybody realizes South Carolina State can potentially go into the MIAC season 0-6. Sweep through the MIAC and be the MIAC representative in the Celebration Bowl at 5-6. and six. Hmm. Wow! How many people are going to Atlanta to see that? Right. That, that that's a tough sell right there, especially if lose your old team from the Miac and Bethune uh, uh, this weekend. Uh, Hampton yeah. coming in, like I said, seven, uh, but uh, obviously A and M one, Jackson State two, Prairie View three, uh, A and T four. Corn uh, at five, and then you got Hampton, Southern, Northwest Florida A&M, and uh, Alabama State bringing up the rank. Hey, that, that, that nine, that nine, ten. Somebody's not going to be in the poll next week because nine plays ten this Saturday in, in Tallahassee, Brad Memorial Stadium. And that's what's whacking so much of a, a, a attraction because you got fam, you playing Alabama State. Uh, that would be a, a, a great game. Um, uh, in a mid major. Uh, Langston still doing their thing. Bowie State. I've, I've talked to a lot of people, and I and I agree with you. You lose, and you got to win your way back up. The top loses, then you can move up. But a lot of Bowie State people say, "Hey, we're number one. Look at our schedule. We need to beat Delaware State." Blah blah blah. blah. All of those things. Alabama State there, and and so Savannah, and Langston. Any really rises in the top ten? I thought. You know, even I, I really like Blueville State, and I think the this independent thing doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, but anybody in this top ten uh, that you're surprised at where they're sitting right now? No, nobody, nothing surprised. But what I what I found interesting: four teams got first place votes in the in the mid major. Lexa received eight first-place votes. Bowie received a first-place vote. Albany received two first-place votes. And Savannah received a first-place vote. But I'm going to say this. All those other teams in the SIEC are just sitting there. Miles is coming for all for those top five, sitting at, sitting at number six. Langston has a good chance to become our big major national champion. But not to be dissing Langston, but uh, if you look at the uh, Black College Sports Network rankings, which is which goes by a power ranking to rank their teams, Langston actually of the top t- top five teams there. Langston has the easiest schedule, and it's not because they are in AIA. is 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 relative to their competition. Langston has had the easiest schedule. 
whereas a Biles thus far has had one of the tougher schedules. And I have to ask you both, I mean, you know, when you look at uh, the likes of Alabama, and then you'll get, say, let's just throw a team out. Let's say West Virginia is undefeated. And they'll move up, but they won't move up enough to be in uh, at, at that level, you know, the you know the, um, the the playoffs in terms of playing for national championships. So it, it should Langston at this level, which is is quality football, be in that same vein. Um, a when yeah they're undefeated, but if you're looking at the competition, should they be number one? I mean, they are just like when you look at Alabama A and M. They're undefeated. They are undefeated. But, you know, yeah. the schedule has got – if we're going to look at the schedule of basketball, right, a lot, and, and, and our, our conferences get dogged because of it, then why aren't we looking at it in, in our voting when it comes to the likes of a Langston University of uh, ID? Because, because we're human. We see that O. <laughs> At the end of somebody's record, they, 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 they're going to give it. That's why it's called a poll and not a ranking. Because a poll means we vote with our head and our heart. A ranking means you take statistics, throw them in a pile, and, and, let, and let the outcome be what the outcome is. That's why this is a poll. Human element. But, T, you know, you're a baseball guy, and I know you, you, you're in on in terms of stats and all that kind of stuff, and numbers don't lie, but so again, I, I would, and I'm biased. I like, I think, to me, Bowie State or Albany State should be number one. That that's me. I, I just think of the, the competition that they're playing in these two conferences, and, and it, I don't mean any disrespect to Langston at all, but based on what they have to go up against head to head all the time, with with the the domination that can come from the uh, SIAC or the I just see them above Langston. You could even make a, a case for Savannah State as well, being above them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think that, yeah, yeah, that O does, you know. But you know, when you look at those power rankings, power rankings, power rankings, you know, they have they don't have a loss. <laughs> but if they play their, you know, high school team type of equivalent in terms of talent, then shouldn't that factor in? Full disclosure, I voted for uh, Langston number one. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think because they don't get the same sort of look that the other Division two schools get, that you, that 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 should be factored in. But that being said, at least to me for football, you almost have to throw out the first month of the season because while yes, every game counts. It's, it's, you know, teams are still trying to, you know, find each other. You know, Al- Alcorn's a good example. Remember, remember, Alcorn got punked by Central, who wound up getting punked by A&T, who has, has, has struggled, you know, starting off the gate uh, this weekend. And I wouldn't be surprised if Hampton knocked them off uh, this Saturday. Just, you know, that's just my own opinion. Um, you almost have to, to me, you almost have to throw out the first four weeks in a sense, because like like Eddie said, it's more of a poll than rankings. Because you know, 
and especially with the HBCUs, you got all the um, quote unquote, you got the money games involved in there and what have you. And the biggest thing and you got I the, have, and you I, got the drop down games too, as I call it. Exactly, because see, exactly, because see, do you okay? South Carolina State's a perfect example. Now, South Carolina's had a tough schedule. Do you punish them because they've been beaten by, uh, because they've had some money games? Or do you look at them and say, hey, you know what they can do down the road? That's where, that's why to me, the first four weeks, and I, I don't know if you uh, agree uh, as well, AD, the, the first four or five weeks of the season when you're trying to do a quote unquote poll, it takes you, you know, if it's this way. If 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 you're uh, doing it in like five minutes, you're not paying attention. I think if you're actually really sitting down and looking like who won against who, and who lost against who, because there was a situation uh, a few weeks ago, and I think AD mentioned it on one of his shows, where Alcorn was ranked ahead of Central, and oh by the way. Uh, Central Alcorn, so why should they be yeah. ranked ahead? It's it's crazy. It's it's, it's that, you have to. That that's the point I, I'm making. That if you break it down rather than go okay, and I'm not saying any of the voters or polls do that, but I'm saying oh, no, no, if you look no. at mm-hmm. stats and wins and losses and, and strength schedule and and teams that you played and and how you against them, you break it down. I, I didn't get the chance to get to all every week. But that's what I do. I'm looking at. I'll give an example. We see the controversy, and, and I don't want to go too far off hand, but I, but I want to, you know, we see the controversy for the American League MVP. There's a heavy uh, Otani uh, uh, faction, and then there's a heavy Guerrero faction. And, and I'm in the Guerrero uh, I, I, I am, but see, but see, here's the thing. Most valuable player, do you go? Do you vote for it like the quote unquote player of the year, or do you vote for uh, value? The uh, value, and see, again, that's the whole thing with these polls because, you know, like like I said, South Carolina State was picked by the coaches to win the MEAC, and that should mean something, and. Right. And and, 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 and see, again, that's why time. that's why you literally that, that's why when you're doing this, you've got to really take into account, um, you know what's you know what's going on. Plus, plus the fact I think all of us have made the mistake and voted for two or three teams at the same ranking, but that's that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole other story <laughs> in and of itself. But, it, 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 I was going to say to Ad to, to Tony's point, South Carolina. I, I think you have to add this. If you're playing Alabama, just making up some. You're talking about state. You playing University of Alabama. First of all, they got more scholarships and they're getting more, you know, uh, five stars and all that kind of stuff. So you're playing a different thing, and so those should be in the competition. And they were picked, like Tony said, to be the team to beat in the MEAC. So you add that in, and you add in, like we mentioned. You know, baseball MVPs, you add in not only, you know, um, on-base percentage, home runs, RBIs, uh, batting average, and where his team is. So the Angels are not going to make the playoffs. Toronto has to make the playoffs because of this guy. So you add those things in, 
And so South Carolina State might be one or two, whatever the record is, but I would put them in my based on factors that go just be not wins and losses, but strength of schedule. They had to play Alabama, they had to do this, they had to go for a row, they lost. I mean, those different things have to play into it. And again, I'm not being critical of other voters. I'm just saying for me, that would be some of the things I'm looking at um, when I'm creating that topic. Can I can I can I throw a counter argument out here to you? Sure. I mean, counter argument. Black Black College Sports Network. We just released our first poll for the same reasons. We we wait we wait for four weeks to get in before we release the poll at the Black College Sports Network. I'm going to give you the top five on the Black College Sports Network's major and mid major in order from one to five. Number one, Alabama A and M. Oh well, hold up before I even do that. Our, our ranking, and notice this is a ranking. This is a computer. We just put the numbers in the computer, and it, and it spits out what it spits out. It gives wow. you, it gives you credits for wins, deducts points for loss, adds in strength of schedule, and get, it gives you points for uh, you get points for conference wins and road wins. That's the basics of the formula that we use. All right, Alabama A and M is number one. Prairie View is number two. Jackson State is number three. Alabama State is number four. Alcorn is number five. That's wow. the major poll. On the bit major poll, Black College Sports Network, excuse me, I say poll. It is a ranking. Lane, Langston is number one, followed by Lane at number two. Albany State is number three. Savannah State is number four. Bowie State is number five. Mm. And the difference between – what you get in the human poll versus the computer is strength of schedule is factored in to that ranking into the algorithm that puts out those numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it, would you consider anything guys better because if you go on by computer, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 you know, a lot of times, also a lot of times you got to say, and I'll use A&T as an example. Is A&T a good team right now? No. They're not. They're not right now. But can they be a better team, say, two, three weeks or so after they play so much? Possibly. But with a with a poll as opposed to a ranking, as of right now, to me, A and T is not as good as their reputation. And, and let's be honest, teams you know teams are going to get some votes. By, by reputation, that's that's you know, that's that's gonna that's gonna happen more so in the human poll than the than 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 the actual rankings. And and, and like and like Eddie said, that's gonna that's gonna be the difference because we all may have our own little separate or so biases, uh, whether it's intended or not. But again, that's that's the that's the great part. I mean, full disclosure. Also, a few years back. Uh, uh, BASN um, worked together with uh, Donald Ware to do the, the old, to do his uh, box to row poll, and we basically went with rankings, but we also had the coaches vote as well, and it was very interesting to see how coach. Now we've all heard stories about how certain coaches will have, like say an SID vote for them or they'll have one of their assistants vote for them or, 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 or what have you. 
it's, you know, there is no sweet science to this. That's, that's why, that's why I think the controversies come up and, and, and out or whatever. But, but, um, I think it, I, I, you know, I would lean toward what AD and them are doing because literally because of the factors involved in that first month of the season, especially with HBCU football, you've got to factor in a gazillion things before you just fill in 10 slots. Well, I, I will say this because we're not time. I've got a couple of last questions for you guys. But I will say this. It, it really depends on if you want to keep the school, right? And what AD has said about you know, the computer spitting stuff out, just put some stuff. I mean, you can, you can program. I have a website. AD has it. You, we all have that. You put something in, and you're going to get what you put in. You could do it that and keep it simple, or you're going to do it like, you know, MVPs and all this other stuff where it's the, the, the eye test and all these different things and the stats and how many games they won and who was better on it, and you can do that too. Combinable, and, and so it it really depends on what the poll is. We know Doctor Bill; they, he has his own poll and what he's trying to do, and and we have him on his different polls. So we know they they do their own thing. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but um, ultimately, I just would I, I I I prefer the human poll because it you allow yourself to have the factors to make sure you're doing real research. You know, um, all the way. And, I mean, certainly you can put the computer in and do those, do it that way, and both. But if AD and and myself and and T Mac are saying, well, you know, Alabama and them, they did this, but they did this against this game, and their quarterback was out. So, I mean, I just think that really gives a real vote for that institution rather than you know just doing it one way and and keeping it moving. Um, AD, final question for you. Surprises at two and two, major, mid major, and games to watch this weekend at mid and major. Uh, I've already said the game to watch this weekend is the South Carolina State game because I am very fearful that South Carolina State has the potential of being a under five hundred team going into the uh going into the celebration bowl. So South Carolina the South Carolina State needs this victory to give themselves a shot at being over at being over five hundred uh for for the season. And mm. give you give me a second. I'm going I'm going to my yeah. trusty honor dan on dot com so I can uh, yeah. pull up the schedule. Yeah. So for those of y'all who don't <laughs> know it, it, it do you it have one of these Right, top websites uh, that to use out there. <laughs> you have you have an upset special or or game to watch at the mid major level. I, I, once again, of course, my internet is running slow now. If you wouldn't have asked me that, I would have had all this stuff already pulled up. You know, but for I, some I, reason, <laughs> it's running slow. <laughs> I mean, you can. I, I mean, you can if you you look at um, uh, the 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 games um, coming up. In, in the CIAA, I mean, uh, you know, you got some interesting matchups, you know, where um, Virginia State's at home against St. Long, and certainly you had mentioned Winston-Salem State, um, it's not your father or grandfather, can they pull off an ups- upset on the road at Shawan? 
No. <laughs> That's pretty simple. No discussion needed. No discussion needed. No. I'm gonna leave. I'm go. I'm gonna leave that. I'm going to leave that one right there. Give 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 me another question. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, it's if if you look at the the fact that you know they haven't they've they've really. I guess I don't know how good. Like uh, I think Tony, you said how good they are against, you know, Central because they they took uh, Central to the brink. But um, I don't I don't know how good they're going to be. But when you look at the the SIAC, um, you kind of gave your hand on Tuskegee and Clark. But but is, is Clark going to go in Tuskegee, Alabama, and get a victory? What about that? Waters team, who I was high on and struggled a little bit uh, at Morehouse. Now, uh, the game to watch in the SIAC is going to probably be the Fort Valley and Benedict game mm. in, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. Benedict with, uh, I believe, two losses in, in the SIAC already. They need right. to get this game in and get a victory in this game in order to uh, – in order to maintain and stay in the race in the SIAC East. Also in the SIAC, Albany State travels to Mile. Possible preview SIAC championship game. Those are the two games that you, that you really need to keep an eye on in the uh, in the SIAC. And I'm tr- looking up and down at the – CIAA games is there a game of entry in, for me in the CIAA? Well, while you're looking at that, I will say Miles is the best. I don't know how much it counts because I'm nobody, but I think Miles is the best two and two team at least at that at at the mid major uh, of playing. I think that, um, they, they're gonna they're a little bit better than than their record to show. Yeah, CIAA games, Shaw Virginia, Virginia Union. You know, unions on a little bit of a roll, but they really haven't beaten anybody. They lost the bad team. Shaw is is that team that's that's going to hang around. Shaw is is probably the one team in the South who may potentially challenge Fayetteville. They need to get this victory so that they can stay in the hunt to to challenge Fayetteville later on in the in the season. Well, we had a uh, uh, coach on. And Damon Wilson on on as well. Interesting to happen in the north and the south. See, before you go, man, I know you stayed on as long as uh, we appreciate. Uh, let people know how they can follow you and uh, all the credentials, sir. Uh, I, my, my, you always follow me on Twitter, BCSN Drew. That's BCSN D R E W. On Twitter, I'm also part of the Black College Sports Network. Our website is www.mybcsn.net. And you can follow the Black College Sports Network on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at mybcsn and the number one. And you know, I, I love coming on here. I love doing some hot takes. I could, I even do some hot takes on this show that I don't do on my own show. But <laughs> trust me, if you listen to if you listen to me and Brian on the BCSN Sports Wrap, 
hey, we – we, we we go back and forth, and we have our own hot takes. Sometimes they have to tell me, all right, we know we're trying to get ratings, but you, you be crazy. Don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did and, and then some on this show, man. And you, like I told you on the initial conversation, we appreciate you on because you keep it real. And, and, and you know, this show is about keeping it real, about real conversation, HCUI. And, and other than, but uh, God bless to talk with you. And like you said, you know, on Thursdays, I'll talk with you next week, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, my brother. All right, bro. Appreciate Take you. Take right. you always have him on, T, um, you know, talking some, some HBCU. For the top 10, I mean, again, it's, it's a, it's full science. It's, it's, it's what it is. What, what we decided, the human element is, always going to come in at some point um, based on something. Even when we input it in the computer, there's a human element that's putting it in, right, to decide what we want it to be. So I do appreciate uh, um, him. T, uh, before we go, I, I got to obviously talk about the pressure, pressure being the word in baseball, pressure on Toronto, pressure on the Yankees, pressure on Boston. Um, they're all going in this game at this broadcast um, with a bunch. You have in Seattle. Um, I think Oakland's out now. Um, yeah, yeah, Oakland got eliminated. Oakland got eliminated the other night with that with that law with the, with the law um, on so uh, you, on Wednesday. Right. You're looking at four teams for so two spots within two games or whatever the hell is. I don't know. Um, so, which team? those four, do you think those two teams will get in first part? And then the second part, if there's uh, the other two that don't get in, are they disappointments in 2021? I'll put it this way. Forgive me. I can't deal with you. I can't do Yankees Red Sox again. No, I, I, I'm, I, I'm I just, you know, we've been talking about I, I can't. I just can't. Yeah, I, I mean, I, so, so, so if, if we were to get Personally, I think the hottest team is Seattle, but they might not get in only because of what's probably going to hurt Seattle. I think what's going to hurt Seattle is their overall season. You know, it, 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 you know, if, if they had, if they had uh, been playing a lot more consistent in the second half, they wouldn't be fighting for it now. But they may be, you know, for all, for with all due respect to the Cardinals and everything like that, to me. I think Seattle is more dangerous personally than the, I think they're the most dangerous team that could make it. And if they didn't make it, I don't think it'd be disappointment. I think it would be an emphasis for them to say, okay, now we got to build for Cause remember they're doing it without their, uh, arguably the best ball player. That's uh, the center fielder who got hurt. Right. Yeah. Well, well, let me that, ask that, you that, 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 uh, uh, again, though, based on pitching, it's on the team. Who do you think the two teams get in in the A? And wild card, and, and if there's a team that doesn't get in, is there a disappointment in them not getting in? I think it's going to be Seattle, Toronto. Um, look, the Red Sox were playing with house money all year, so I, I, I don't, I, I wasn't, you know, to me, they, you know, I don't know who was the worst mirage, them or the Mets, in a sense, all, 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 all year. Uh, the Yankees, I had said from the get, the Yankees will go as far as their pitching will take them. 
you can't hit your way to the pennant. They do this every year where they get a couple of weeks where they get hot and everybody's like, you know, oh, Yankees this and Yankees. No, no, no. It's, it's got to be an overall thing. Um, they're now, now, again, bullpen-wise, they probably have the best bullpen, but to me it speaks more of how mediocre their starting pitcher is, starting pitching is, if you're talking more about your pen than your starting team. So, it, so to be clear, you saying you Toronto in the playoffs and Boston. I'm thinking and, Toronto. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking Toronto. I th- I'm thinking it's going to be Toronto, Seattle. Okay, good. And then, so it, the it, the Yankees would have to be the most disappointing you because you said Boston is probably playing on house money anyway. They shouldn't even been in. The Yankees were going to go as far as their pitching. Look, right. I think even if. I think even if they make the playoffs, Boone's out of a job. I think he Personally. should be out of a job, but anyway. I, I think he, I think he will be. I think, I, I, this way, I think you're going to have two new managers in New York next year. Let's just put it that wow. way. I well, think you're going to get two you know, new managers next year. I, you know, Degrom. I've been complaining about him all year. They, I, you know, when they down, obviously you're out of the playoff thing, but they should have down. I thought they should have them down work it a little there is one thing that the the baby arm and then one another thing then the guys hurt shut them down you're still in the mix with Atlanta Philly at the time shut them down and then bring them back towards the end I thought the Mets kind of mismanaged enough to say that he's the only guy that you know if you don't have him you don't make it I, I just, I don't know. I, I just. It, it, it looks worse. It looks worse when you have bonehead Syndergaard out there, which, which was basically being showcased because I think, right. um, I think he's gone. I, I, I think he's gone after this year. Anyway, I, I, you know, I think there's going to be a mild house cleaning uh, for, for, for the team. Shouldn't um, be the manager though. Shouldn't be the manager. I'm sorry. No, no, no. He has to go too because he he's, he is he no 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 he's no he's 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 managed his way out of out of too many games this year. I I, I the way that he has done that bullpen and and in some and you know the fact that he you know I might be biased you know the fact that he basically ignored um, Dom Smith um, for most of the second half of the year while other players who were playing just as worse, if not worse than him, were, were being thrown out there every day. So I, I just, I, I think, I know, um, you know, everybody got a pass last year because it was a strike year, but there have been some moves to me this year that have just left me a little like, I, I think, I think they need, you know, full disclosure, I would see what Theo wants and bring him in here yesterday. No, but that, and, I mean that's a smart move. That's a smart move. And and see if Cleveland is willing to talk another trade, Francona for whoever. Wow. So that those two, I mean, you get so that's my that's already, my that's my Christmas that's my Christmas ready. those are my Christmas list that's my Christmas list for for the offense. Right. I mean, either one of them or both. Boston's not a big market, but a market that wins championships. So he knows. So he already. So you bring him in, you bring in Krona, who they work with, and he worked with. I mean, would be that would be a Christmas. 
That would be. I, I'm with you on that. And don't and, 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 and don't forget and don't forget what he did with the Cubs too. Right. Right. Exactly. And then he walked away, and then the Cubs sure. 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 But you know, um, not that it makes a difference. And, and and I'm saying that, and I mean that. What I'm saying, Zach Wheeler killed you. Know, like you know, in, in terms of that haunting, that Yankee haunting coming back type thing. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I just think that with Mets in terms of that uh, rotation, uh, even the NBA lineup, I think they let them down. I think they really, really let them down. Um, and when when you yeah. lost that, when you had that stretch where you lost six or seven in a row, I think they stopped playing for them. I really do. Late in the season. And, and, and I, I see that. They were, you know, even when it was sort of going good, I just, you just got the feeling that there's something wasn't, that there's something wasn't right. They don't need to go ham crazy, but they've got to, they've, they've got to, they've got to tweak some things. They've, they've right. definitely got to tweak some things, I think. Um, there is somewhat of a nucleus, I think. Um, you know, the biggest, I think the, the, the biggest question is going to be, do you do you gamble on? I mean, it's basically going to come down to: Do you give the money to um, Baez or do you give the money to Conforto? Put a gun to my head, I go with Baez. I would. I go with Baez. I go with Baez. You know, I, 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 you know, Conforto's been teasing and teasing and teasing and teasing. And now, granted, it could be another. Zach Wheeler, Mike Scott thing happening if he if he should leave there and thrive, and you know you know the, the Mets have a a his you know the Mets could make a, an all star team of former players that were there that went on to you know do well um, in, in other in, in other places, but they've got to they've got to do some tweaking because I think you know because of how the off season went. The expectation level was was you know was 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 heavy this year, and this and see this year there is no um, pandemic to blame it on. Now now the fact that they had to play eighty seven double headers and eighty nine games in eighty nine days didn't help. <laughs> but that being but that being said, there were many opportunities this year to grab this division by the throat. And they 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 drop the ball, and you know it makes you know look. Uh, Gabe Kapler is going to get Manager of the Year for for the National League, if not all of Major League Baseball. But you cannot sleep on what Brian Snitker did this year with the Braves, especially after because look, everybody, myself included, when Acuna went down, we basically was like, okay, who wins this division now? But you know, the front office went out and made, you know, three small, quiet moves, and they won the division. They came out and won the division. All, they're all, they're gonna, they, you know, they, they win tonight. They basically, you know, clinch it. It's, it's, you know, you can make the argument, you know, whose front office should get executive of the year. Should you do it to the Giants or do you give it to the Braves for, for, for basically doing a rebuild in the middle of the season? Right, and then you know Freddie Franchise, you talk Atlanta still being there, but you you bring up a great point in terms of what I asked in terms of 
surprises. So start with that. I I, I compiled um, five or six if I pull up my thing that surprises, and you tell me who is the biggest surprise and why. Obviously, I had to put the Giants up there. I don't think either one of us expected. I thought they might win seventy games, maybe eighty. They got one hundred and four, I think, one hundred five, whatever it is. Um, I throw in the Mariners. For me, I didn't think I picked the Mariners a few years ago, like the White Sox, and I didn't expect most of them. They at eighty nine or ninety games. The Brewers, I picked them because of you know I I had the Cardinals winning that division, so I put the Brewers on surprise. Um, the Rays, not necessarily in not winning the division, but win total. Um, Red Sox, I'm with you in terms of you know, the pitch and everything else. Um, and when I look at the fact that uh, the A's continue to compete, I don't think they fell and the Yankees jumped and then the Red Sox jumped. I didn't think they, they would even be anywhere close, let alone second place, to the Astros. So we look at those teams. Um, what team you think is the most surprising and why? Giants. Giants. Yeah. I don't think anybody thought the Giants would even be 500 this year. Um, now, I give the Mariners credit for doing this without their best player, but right. I, I always felt like the Mariners were, you know, the Mariners were the victims, you know, they're, they're victims of being, an, uh, you know, on paper, arguably being in the, uh, one of the better divisions in the league, you know, with Houston, you know, with Houston and Oakland. And see, with Oakland, God forgive me, they do this every year. They, right. they do just enough. I didn't think they win. I didn't think they win what they won, though. No, 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 no. They, 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 you know, this is what the extent of money, Paul, is. It makes you, quote, unquote, relevant. But you don't, you know, you don't win with money, Paul. You win to a certain extent. It's how much you want to win. Money, Paul, will let you win to a certain extent, but it's never – until I see differently, Moneyball does not is not going to win you a World Series. Moneyball will win you some games and whatever, and they'll be able to make uh, mediocre movies about it. But it's never going to win a World Series. And mm. you can tell me that uh, you can tell me, well, well, you know, the, the Red Sox did it, you know, whatever. No, no, you know, because because see, here's the thing: the A's would have never gone out and got a Kurt Schilling. The A's would have never gone out and gotten. Uh, uh, um, half of that roster that Boston had when they were winning championships, quote unquote, using Moneyball. Moneyball does not win you championships. Moneyball makes you relevant. Moneyball makes you relevant with the stat geeks, but it doesn't win you a World Series. Shoot, Moneyball makes you makes your fans feel like, oh, we got a shot, and you know, in Moneyball, within Moneyball, you don't have a shot. But the fans well, are like, you, wow. you'll, you'll win. You'll win to a certain. It, it, see, that's what I'm saying. The one thing, the one thing I always like when the movie Moneyball came out, the first thing I said was, "What was going to be the happy ending?" Yeah. To the movie, because you know all these Hollywood movies always have to have a happy ending, and the happy ending was them winning twenty games in a row. And if right. you remember, they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs by Minnesota that year. Right, and that's why I said Moneyball to me. He is that carrot at the end where you're 
fantasize that we have a chance. And you really don't have a chance, but you make it seem your fans you have a chance to win well, you the baffle them, you, ba- you, know, you baffle them with BS, basically. Right. And see, right. that's, why, that's why it was always tough for me to embrace the Rays. Now, again, they, you know, they look. Have they been the best team in the American League the last uh, American League East the last two three years? Absolutely. They got to a World Series, and they fell back on their money. Look, if if you know if it's if it sounds like it's some sour grapes because of the whole uh, Snell thing, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold I'm gonna hold them to that because. That's that's the other side of Moneyball because when you treat uh, Game Six of the World Series like it's a two game series uh, of a of a three game of a, like a three game series in Cleveland in May, you get what you deserve. Now, are they are they a very good team and balanced and all that? Yeah, but you know what? Win a World Series, then maybe then maybe I'll embrace you a little bit more. But as of right now, no same same you know same same. Same spit, different year, basically. Yeah, Tampa fan said, well, we've gotten further than Oakland, but as you say, that that's being that, the world's like world no, hey, I got to use one of yours. That means the world's tallest midget. Like, you, you got yeah. further, but you're <laughs> Better than Oakland. Big deal. Big deal. And, 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 Oakland, and, and, and Oakland hasn't done if, – if, if, if your criteria is being better than Oakland and not being the best team in Major League Baseball – <laughs> and you can live with that fine. I th- to, be, to be quite honest with you, I think that's the main reason why they can't sell out their own ballpark because I think their fans are tired of this. Right. I think the fans are tired of it. Now, they'll probably come out a little bit more in the postseason, but I think until and, and with the whole specter of this whole Montreal thing and, and what have you, you know, my see, look, thing is – and I, and I tell this to all these other, you know, you, you know me. When I, when, I, when I hear these other Yankee fans, you know, I don't want to be the best team in New York. I want to be the best team in baseball. I was going to say yeah. that. I, I, I was going to use two of your things, the world talks budget, and I don't need to be the best in New York. I want to be the best team in baseball. That's just something you I want, want to I want, very, I want, I want to put you know I, I finally I finally sat down and watched uh, the uh, the eighty six uh, thirty for thirty, which is a very good thirty for thirty. By the way. I I I I you know what? I didn't think I could ever I, cry again. I never thought I, I didn't think I could ever cry again because because it really it brought it all back. It really did bring it all back. They did it. You it, know, was really, things, you know. it was produced really good though. I thought like, oh, yeah, the yeah, way they yeah. showed that no nonsense. We're not gonna give up type one mentality. That team. I thought they really did a really lights out good, good yeah. job on that. Yeah, they yeah, did. yeah. That you know that you know. And see, and then, and then, in the backdrop of watching, you know, this year's uh, team, it, it, it just, it just, you know, just added. Even, and 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 you know, it's probably not fair to compare them in 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 that sense. But it just, you know, again, look, I watch them every night, and it was just even when things were good, it just there was just something not all the way there this year. And and like I said, they don't have to. You know they don't have to back up the truck. But they, they were, you know, I don't want to get off the thing. They would ask about. I mean, Sid Fernandez was the fat Hawaiian guy, and uh, you know, Ron Dirty pitcher, and uh, you know, Strawberry and Good, and all. I mean, 
Queen and Mookies and the, and, and the, oh, I mean, they just had their identity. So I don't, I, I would never compare this Met team to that. I mean, they just had their, they had the characters, but they had the talent and the will. So that that you know that and the, was, and the and the and the sad and the sad thing and the sad thing is they didn't let this team grow because literally and figuratively right after they won it they were already dismantling it. I mean, the you know the the fact that they called in Ray Knight the day after the World Series and saying Nah, you're out of here, and right. the fact that they you know I you know I you know the whole the the the, the Mitchell trade that 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 goes even more into it. And see the crazy thing is. I was actually one of the few guys that actually liked Kevin McReynolds, you know, but it's the sort of I thing where, player. yeah, it was a good player. Well, but see, but see, but see, when you when you give up a guy that eventually wins an MVP, it's it just it's it's just you know it's it's it's. But it's, I, it's, I like it's, the it's unlike the unlike the little men we had still hanging on in New York. I like the Wally Beckmans and Lenny Dykstra's and guys like they're little well, slap the ball around, the slap 50, the ball around. See the great see the reason the reason why the eighty six team was always special to me because see I sat through all those ugly years you know I always you know I always say the years like from like say this way from the Seaver from the day of the Seaver trade to the day that Davy Johnson got there it was I mean it was Aunt Esther having Shabba Rank's baby ugly for that <laughs> I, I I've always felt like the year yeah, before well, double date the year. The year before Doubleday took over as the uh, owner in 1979, they drew 700,000 fans that year. Home wow. opener, home opener was uh, was 12,000 fans for home for the home opener. That oh, was the, you know as many that that was that was the that was the lowest point. You know everybody always points to the Seaver trade and 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 you know the the Bobby Bonilla stuff and everything. I always felt like 79 in 1979 they were the worst franchise they were the worst professional franchise in sports in 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 all of sports all of sports and then so that's why when no I was there long enough to see them literally turn it around and again you know from when they drafted uh, Strawberry and even when they signed Hernandez I was like this is good, but if he doesn't stay, what the hell happens? But right. you know, thank goodness, you know he hung out, and they, you know, they, they, you know, it, you know. But it, it's, it's like almost, said, and it's almost like they sold themselves to the devil for that year to to, to have that miracle in the. Well, you know, I want to call a miracle. I want to call it. Please, please wait. Please wait. Here's the crazy thing. You could make the argument that the '85 team was actually better than better. the '86 team, but it's You're just right. they, it's just that they couldn't beat the Cardinals. Right. You're right. They just couldn't beat the Cardinals. I'm reading your mind. You're right. That '85 team, '85 squad was better, and you can say what you want about David Johnson and McMahon in the series. I thought they both bonehead decisions in that oh, series. Yeah. 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 Yet, they both. They both. Know, they. They both went away from what they did all year, and right. it was almost one of those series where neither one of the teams deserved to win. And it was crazy because the whole postseason, you know, you know, uh, you know, we always talk about you know the the game six in Houston, which was an epic. But that whole you got to remember that whole playoff, you know, you know, the Red Sox, the Red Sox uh, 
the you know the the unfortunate Donnie Moore game uh, with the Red Sox with you know, right. Henderson with, with his one. that was an epic game too. But there were so many right. epic games during that post you know that '86 postseason was a hell of a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, yeah right. big big picture wise, it was big picture wise the fact that. You hung out that I basically hung out long enough to see them basically be the worst franchise in baseball to become the best franchise in baseball. That that's that's why it was that's why it was so rewarding. So and and look, they've you know, they've they've maintained their whatever and, and, and again the, the biggest lament with the eighty six team is that their own franchise didn't allow didn't give them the ability to repeat in a sense. And you and you look at that five year at 6973 that you had a championship and more hope and then you get 86 and then you get that um not 69 um, but you get that hope where it where it comes through and you think keep the roster in place and and certainly they don't real quick we got about 4 minutes uh disappointment mm-hmm. but my disappointments again were based on um Again, looking at numbers from the past, like you mentioned that, looking at rosters and things, and not necessarily making a playoffs, but improving from one year to the next. So on my disappointment list, I had the Diamondbacks. I had the Nationals, certainly. I thought they would be better. I know they lost Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin and all that. Um, the Twins, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, you know, they kind of reload, but I thought they would be better. Uh, 71 or 72 wins. Padres, uh, kind of unfair. Well, no, no, it's not. It's, no, trust me, it's fair. You know what? It is fair with the Padres because see, here's the thing. What was the one thing that we talked about going into the year? You have to prove that you can beat Dodgers when it counts. But see, where they, where they, where they messed up is where they messed up was they they forgot about the rest of the league. They got right. so obsessed with hanging out with the Dodgers that they forgot about the Giants and they forgot about the Reds and they forgot about that. Because, see, that's where they lost. That's where they lost uh, this season. It's not so much much the Dodgers and the Giants, but it's it's, it's everyone else. It's everyone else. And and I'm saying this, T, all genuine, that I thought – I've said this the last two years, but the Mets won the division. I thought they won 95 games. And I thought they'd be the best team in New York. Um, so I, I know, you know, Lindor coming over, and hopefully that Lindor situation that comes up, whatever the case, all that works itself out. But I thought they clearly were the best team. Um, and you can be the best team in your division and don't win. Cause you, I mean, we've seen that before. But I certainly thought they would be uh, the team to beat with Atlanta, the only time I gave up on the Braves was when Acuna got hurt. Right. But I, I, always, I never, you know, even going into the year, the Braves, you know, because they wanted to, you know, you know, they haven't dominated it like how the Dodgers have in the West, but the right. Braves have been the team to beat. You know, remember, uh, when the Nationals won the World Series, they were the wild card team. Braves won it then. So, so again, because of their body of work, and even more, and, and see now they're coming in. Which you know, this is this is you know, I'm still going to go with Giants, White Sox in the World Series, 
But this, you know, it wouldn't surprise you to see the Cardinals win it. It wouldn't surprise you to see uh, if they, if they if they if they were to get hot for a couple of weeks, Houston win it. I think to be honest with you, Houston may be the one team that everybody is sleeping on. To be well, I, I, I I'm going. I was going. I I don't. I I, I like the white. Remember, I, I've been thinking the white. I I like what they're doing. I just think Houston has that pedigree. They got great managing. Um, so I can see. I would, and, 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 and and let's face it. And let's face it. Even you know, people still aren't giving them their due. You know, they're they're still talking about the whole garbage can thing. But right. look, they made the playoffs last year. They're gonna make it again. You know, you gotta right. give up that ghost at some point. It wasn't right. big, you know. If you want to, if you still, if you're please wait. It's sort of like the people who are still upset that LeBron left Cleveland. If you're still thinking that this is an inferior team because of the whole um, sign stealing scandal, you know, give it a rest. Right. And if you if you weren't following them cheating last year allegedly and all that kind of stuff, um, they're back in the playoffs. So what does that yeah. mean? So you're monitoring yeah. now, and they still cheat. They still cheat. You monitoring? I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. But um, and that Cardinal, I, I don't care who's in uh, that Cardinal team, man. I, I, I will, I will, I will. Please wait. I will say this: historically, though, streaks like that, end of the day, they don't mean anything. They lose first round. They really, well, not so much. The, you don't win at all. I mean, it's it's a nice it's a nice thing to go into, but. End of the day, it doesn't really. It you know, look. I know they, I know they look tough right now. There's no doubt about that. You see, they're actually doing what now what I thought they were going to do all year. Right. So it, it's gonna it's gonna it's it's gonna be a very fun playoff. I'm I am you know I am really looking forward to it because this you know we may have some Monday baseball if this keeps if if this keeps up. Well, uh, my friends in Milwaukee and people went to a Marquette and stuff are hoping that you pick uh, the Brewers um, to, to get to the World Series. I uh, I don't you know I, it's it's I don't I don't you know I I, I I maybe I'm being stubborn. I'm just going with the teams that I had you know put out with earlier. I just wanted to be consistent. But no, nah, you can't sleep on the Brewers. Look, if they've got you know especially because they have starting pitching, and and quite frankly, they may have the most underrated lineup. And I'm gonna tell you, if there's anybody that has something to prove, it's Mr. Yelich. Right, right. Coming off the season he had, and, and I think they're starting pitching and the depth of the starting pitching, how deep they go into games, I think is underrated too. I mean, they they really yeah, yeah. Hey, pitching. Let's, and let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest. They may arguably have the Cy Young Award winner with uh, with um, uh, Barnes. He's he's been a beast all year. Absolutely. T, I love you, man. Appreciate you. We'll talk with you next week, sir. Take care, man. Thank you.
Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-